0: Hey, everybody. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N.
1: And I'm TK, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at X
0: and we2 means we must be here to discuss mc2 and oh man we are at some we are at some crazy crossroads with the unbelievable earth 982 i could never have imagined the bonding process this would be this sort of well we've survived it and it's been so much fun and i got to start off with where are you at 45 issues into this universe
1: i think i'm at a point where i'm really starting to see everything Come together in a way that I can now plausibly hear people say, Oh, I love Spider Girl. I love Mayday Parker and think that that's a reasonable thing. I think in the first few volumes, I was having trouble seeing it all. I've seen a lot of cool ideas, a lot of really funny references, a lot of stuff that made me kind of crack up about how Marvel gonna marvel, but I was not seeing anything with a ton of charisma or a ton of gravitas. And I think that's starting to come together in this volume.
0: I agree. And I wonder if that's because either May is growing into being Spider-Girl, or in many ways, Tom DeFalco is really starting to gain an understanding of how this universe needs to be its own thing. I would say that the first few volumes felt very much like, ah ha ha, look how we're doing classic Spider-Man stuff. Ah ha ha. And now it's a little bit more like its own thing. For better or for worse, it has a unique flavor that nothing else in the Marvel Universe has.
1: I think he also stopped trying so hard to write what he assumed to the best of his ability was a cool teen in 1998 language. And there are some like very melodramatic very almost purple prose and dialogue moments in the issues that we're going to talk about. In a lot of ways, it works better than trying to do Feelin' Loose and slam and Heat. Like it just, if you're a comic book writer, if you are maybe not necessarily in touch with a cultural vernacular of a certain age, go big. Comics fans can always have fun with that, but it's really tough to look past terrible teen dialogue in the same way. And I noticed that this group of issues had a bunch that were, really big comic book pros and then May's quipping got a little less I'm a cool teen and more just I am a person that is not being super serious in this moment, but not attempting to use a slang term that I've never actually heard.
0: And I think that's part of the magic of a character like Peter Parker, who is in many ways a representation of these classic writers mentality. Peter Parker, even though he has updated and his quips got, you know, way more bendousy, he was still very much playing kind of like that older white male perspective frame of reference. And that's because the people writing this, character had that frame of reference and i think that one of the things we run into with the mc2 universe is the ways in which perhaps when you're talking about a reinterpretation of existing canon you do wind up kind of bumping against other people's interpretations of that canon which is why maybe i found myself so fascinated by some of the people who were being used here like with some distance yeah i mean i know kingpin is like a motherfucker. And Elektra is amazing. And you know Wolverine is always Wolverine. But some of the other choices throughout this book, like I looked up what the fuck Nova is doing at this point. He's on a version of the New Warriors. It's about it.
1: And yet we're supposed to think he's such an important character and so integral to Marvel Universe politics. But I can't find a single sympathetic bone in my body for the character.
0: And I wonder if Nova got this huge increase because So by this point, we're picking this up with Spider-Girl number 17 through 27, as well as the Wizard 1 half edition. We're also going to be taking a look at the Buzz 1 through 3 and Dark Devil 1 through 3. Now, remembering that Spider-Girl launched in October of 1998 and that we're looking at at its earliest March of 2000, this is plenty of time for the creatives to have had an opportunity to get reactions to what they were planning, what they were doing. You know, not to sound too perhaps jaded, but we're picking this up after four failed titles. This is, and because, you know, sales figures being what they are, Next and J2 were failures. Fantastic Five and Wild Thing were failures. And the,
1: those last two really seemed like they were doomed from the get-go. Like they didn't want to not have two books coming out, but they had no expectations that unless there was some kind of miracle, these two were going to be picked up any further than that. And with Fantastic Five, that really shows and is totally fine. With Wild Thing, is really disappointing because I think they kind of had hit gold, but it just seemed like they didn't have anywhere to go with it and you know, obviously didn't pick it up so it really didn't have any plans for it. But I think that is one, especially in connection with Spider Girl, and you see a little bit of the chemistry that could have been with them in the Wizard 1 half issue. But it could have been a really solid anchor point to expand this universe in a more sustainable way.
0: What's crazy is the two titles that I think we have had the least relationship with A Next and Fantastic Five are the two titles that are going to get second volumes down the line. The other titles that we've taken a look at, the mutant side of things with J2 and Wild Thing, as well as later on today when we take a look at The Buzz and Dark Devil, these four titles do not get second volumes. In fact, the only other character who is going to get their own hey check me out kind of mini series for the rest of spider girls time is going to be american dream a character introduced in a next who is you know a real focal point already for heroics in the mc2 universe so for better or for worse we have most of the players and it's been made clear who's important i don't know that i agree yeah you and i are on the same page about that we are not on the same page with
1: the creative team that's the one thing that's a little bit unfortunate reading this volume especially a spider girl is you know what is being lost and what's not coming in the future and you know that there's no like hail mary of a solid character that can come in and anchor this franchise and make it for a solid point of expansion whatever we got no matter how good it is and it is at times really great is kind of on a wing and a
0: prayer and a best guess and I do think by this point Marvel had to know and you said a quote that has haunted me since you said it in like the second or third episode Tom DeFalco has stated that the reason they kept making more was because everyone kept telling them the sales figures were too good not to and I don't know who was looking at those sales figures yeah truly it's it's a math
1: that we will never be able to understand and yeah I'd be really curious to know if that was maybe just some sort of personal ego stroking while doing an interview but that that as a reason really surprises me, or holy hell, they were so efficient with this entire production process that this book was essentially
0: just printing money from thoughts. Well, and part of it really continues to be the incredible limited number of people working on this title at any given point. Now, we're going to be taking a look, as mentioned earlier, at Spider-Girl 17 through 21, as well as Spider-Girl one half. These issues initially saw publication from March 2000 to June 2000, and would later be Republished in Spider Girl Digest number four, Turning Point, September 21st, 2005. Now, this is the first time where we don't really have enough titles to do like a triple look, volume, volume, volume. So, we're going to be taking a look at this in the way that the MC2 Digest line reprints it. So, we're next going to be taking a look at Spider Girl Volume 5 Endgame, what a title, which sees Spider Girl 22 through 27 initially released in July of 2000 through December of 2000. And lastly, we're going to move over to Spider-Girl presents The Buzz and Dark Devil, which was a combined digest featuring all three issues of both series. This was originally published in May 9th of 2007, so quite a bit later than the stories that it goes with with, you know, Spider-Girl being the anchor point. These stories were originally published July 2000 through September 2000 and then again November 2000 through January 2001. And, you know, the cast of creators are all the people you're expecting. Everything was either written by Tom DeFalco or Ron Friends or a combination. Your pencillers were Ron Friends, Pat O'Leaf, Patrick O'Keefe. Your inkers were Sal Buscema, Al Williamson, and Al Milgram. Colors from Bob Sharon, Christy Scheel, who did like the fucking bulk of this nelson yamitov and bob sharon filling out colors on buzz and dark devil respectively and then our lettering tasks belong to jack morelli janice chang dave sharp jim novak john workman paul Tutrone, and industry legend tom morzikowski which is just fucking wild guys written x-men stories and here he is lettering dark devil so Okay, and now for the last bit of house cleaning, the numbers. At this point, Spider-Girl is selling less than half of what she debuted at with her first issue in this collection coming in at roughly 36,500 copies. But issue 27 has her falling down to just 27,500 copies. This is a staggering drop to nearly, you know, cancellation numbers. The Buzz and Dark Devil never really hit any number worth noting, the buzz peaking with its first issue at 20,000 copies and ending at just over 16,500 and Dark Devil launching at about 21,000 copies and closing out at 18,500 a slight uptick from its lowest point at its second issue. Those numbers depress me But Do they surprise you? No No they don't. That's, no, you know what? Maybe they do. Maybe I am surprised Maybe I'm surprised that the buzz sold like 20,000 175 16 5 and then six months later dark devil sold 21 185 18, five. that dark devil came in later sold pretty much better issue for issue and held on at a higher percentage point that's kind of shocking to me I guess the only thing I can
1: think is that the appeal was really for people who had already kind of had a stake in mc2 and wanted to see something developed where buzz very much gave gives you the vibe that it's a kids book and most likely younger kids aren't picking this up because they haven't been following MC2 and the kids that might have picked it up if it had debuted originally are now kind of aging out of it so it's actually a really fantastic kids book and that's unfortunate and speaks a little bit to the fact that marketing really could have played a role in MC2 having a different destiny but it's, a, it's solidly like a Saturday morning cartoon book and I think maybe the audience had just kind of flown around that idea.
0: Well, and I really love what you're pointing out, because it's reminding me why this book really affects you and I. You and I have a certain gay quality that is skew older, so people will take you seriously. And that is a huge thing in communities where people feel othered or marginalized. So we feel a need to be intelligent and knowledgeable. There's something to be said about the fact that there was an interpretation of cultural nerd, which was as long as you were like a neck beardy white guy, you could argue any comic book and you'd be fine. How many TV shows have created entire character tropes based on that iteration of nerddom? Yet as queers or as people who felt othered, we felt a need to be able to compete with people who were the gatekeepers. And so the canon here is the kind of stuff that I salivated over as a kid. I had that giant, ultimately the book, the hardcover was like a pale blue with an embossed silver surfer on the actual book. Book itself, but there was a wraparound cover. It was called Marvel Universe. It talked about like a great number of the characters and told you issue numbers you could reference, and I had shit like that memorized. But if you're not going for an OCD kid with emotional problems trying to impress his dad, who the fuck is this book for? And how do you market it?
1: Very fair questions, and I don't think I have the answer at this point.
0: So we did bring up something last episode that, you know, I'm walking through Target with You know, producer, husband, contributor to all of my projects, the amazing Kevo. And I'm saying that I had to explain what Wizard Magazine was. And he was like, yes, that's correct. You do. And one of the things that having to explore what Wizard Magazine led me to was something that I think we do need to address about this series before we go too much further. This was in many ways kind of what Twitter or Instagram or deviant art would have allowed as an outlet just like 15 years later I don't know that this is necessarily something that the world wanted to see created by Marvel, but rather this was something that fans wanted and might have been better suited to fan art like I would love to see you know and talking about who is this for I would love to see something that really appeals to my love of adult and older things and yet plays to my. You know, sense of childlike wonder, but I'm not keeping my fingers crossed for the wacky races starring Fritz Lang's Metropolis babies. So it really is about finding that balance.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of times you're correct insofar as we as fans really do want to see stuff. There's an image that we have in our head that we want brought to life of like the child of two characters that would never get together. And if you can pop online and see one image of it, it sort of just scratches that itch for you. And in theory, you think to yourself, oh, man, it would be really cool if they did that book. But unless that book is really perfect to a specification that isn't feasible for like making money, for instance, the idea is terrible and you're not going to like it. And so you're correct that this does really feel like a lot of really solid, fun fan ideas that make for a lot of really good play and some nice images and they spark some really good thoughts. But it is really tough to pull them together into a cohesive narrative that runs as an alternative to the Marvel Universe and is also in a lot of ways a companion to it. The reason why I've been so sort of reticent to get on board with Mayday has been that she really has not lived up to that expectation and it is starting to come together now, but man, it has been a lot of work just for
0: that little payoff of like, what is Spider-Man's daughter? It's because we're carrying a lot of the burden on our shoulders, I think. Very true. If you give a person a a really good prompt. And, you know, it's that famous thing about like really short stories, you know, saddest six word story of all time. For sale, baby shoes never worn, scariest short story of all time. The last person in existence sat alone in their room. There was a knock at the door. Like, there's ways to give people small doses of fiction that spark where they want to go next. And one of the things that I find myself doing is sometimes treating Spider Girl in the MC2 universe like a somewhat familiar yearbook. And I find myself looking at people who I vaguely recognize, who I I have strong memories of, but don't quite line up with my world anymore. And I'm projecting the stories that I remember and the stories that I'm imagining the future might include. But yearbooking the Marvel universe in a future past kind of the zeitgeist of the best it never was isn't the same thing as generating an exciting new universe for me to latch onto. And I can now see that this is a universe that if you didn't have the music in you, you couldn't find the song. Yeah, I think that's exactly correct. We see
1: alternate universes all the time. They can be really fun for a solid storyline. They can be great for a what-if issue. This is uh, going on a long time, and we know it's going to go on a lot longer. It is improving, but it, it is a slog.
0: And I'm so glad that we've been doing this project in the way we have because we have an opportunity to talk about something that I think is really exciting. The Spider Girl Wizard 1 half originally solicited for October of 1999. You know, the thing I need to point out is if you don't understand boutique comics from back in the day, boutique comics were a thing where if a book was $6.95, that wasn't out of the realm of possibility. That was definitely something that, like Karen Berger was like, yes, give it a cardboard stock and charge 695 and you know it worked for her for a really long time <laughs> but you know wizard spider girl one half fuck man that sucks that was 695 and you had a mail away for that fucker and yes it came with a certificate of authenticity and there was a signed version and uh, sometimes there were little changes on the cover, uh, especially with stuff like uh, I was a big fan of like indie porny comics because you know I like my ladies hot and slightly monstrous, and so I was super into Dark Child. And you know you could get like 18 different versions of every wizard one half that that you know topless monster hero came with. So when I look back and I take a look at some of the secondary market values, I know that not everybody cares about secondary market value the way I do, but I need to point out. That it is not unreasonable for a sealed, high-quality certificate of authenticity, missing copy of Spider Girl One Half to go for two hundred dollars. Hmm. That's that's insane. That's, that's insane. insane. When we talk about the baseline for holding and retaining value in a modern age, we talk about Ultimate Spider-Man Number One, which retained a one hundred dollar value on a nine point eight copy for over a decade. So when we're talking about sliding market share on on these titles, Spider Girl acts as the Batman anybody who doesn't follow comic sales Comic sales are done in terms of a 100% where 100% is represented by the sales of Batman for the month. All comic sales are gauged by Batman. If you sell over Batman, your market share is over one. If you sell less than Batman, it's less than one. And that's just how that works forever. And it's just what we've done. So, you know, when we talk about baselines, one of the things that I'm talking about is like Ultimate Spider-Man is the fucking gold standard in pricing a comic, or at least it was for a very long period of time. So when I hear something comes in at like twice that on some sales, now that's not always, you know, the case we're talking about a premium, high quality, 9.8 graded CGC copy. I would probably want to see it in the Mylar if I could. You know, I want to see that spine. But that is really a transformative understanding of what means what to who, because whether it's the Spider Girl aspect, the MC2 aspect or some of the guest stars, this issue holds value as a special one off comparatively. Wild Things one half goes for like 10 bucks.
1: That's just absolutely insane to me, especially when you consider the value of the story within these pages.
0: And the thing of it is I'm talking about a graded high quality copy of Spider Girl one half. It's harder to find graded high quality copies of something like Wild Thing one half. She doesn't have the same following. And part of why I am so upset that one half is perhaps held in such a weird value position is number one it was never printed in the proper trades. It was included in the digest but it was not reprinted in the proper full-size trades, number one. And number two, it is the first truly egregious, she is 16 years old, what are you doing with her ass over her head on the cover? This is the first time I'm like, this is a problem. Yeah, it is glaringly
1: obvious and it's just kind of unforgivable because it's not like it's such a great quality cover that you think, oh, they just got a little overzealous and didn't really think about the position they were putting her in it's it's just ugly and objectifying and weird
0: and yeah i'm gonna go for ugly and this isn't a term that we use to describe art very often in our discussion of some of the artistry here, but there is certainly a very rushed, unfinished sense to this one half that is not what I am used to from these storytellers. You know, Sal Buscema is an industry legend, and we've even seen Sal Buscema, Ron Friends, and Bob Sharon collaborate on stories already in the MC2 universe, but I'm genuinely sort of disappointed that Spider-Girl one half had this boot. Peak pricing was this premium issue. I specifically think a great example comes in on the sixth page where you can see a very, you know, really peak 40 year old lesbian Mayday Parker pulling her costume out of her well labeled backpack. So I'm glad if she ever loses this backpack, it will be so hard to trace it to her. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with an artist who likes to surrender a sense of depth and go for a flatter look. I think one of the most famous examples of an artist using a flatter look to still create dimension. I think about Billy Tan's exquisite work on drawing a character like Darwin. You can have a very flat-faced character still have a lot of nuance and topography to their, to their facial features. I've never seen the Wild Thing mask so like obscure her face as it does in this issue. And, you know, we
1: see Ron Friends do really, really good for flat work in the buzz which we've talked about a lot and again you know the thing I always say is it it's a Saturday morning cartoon in a comic book and I mean that in the best possible way it really has the style and sort of dynamicness of something animated in all the ways that you want that and this is just like one click over from that one room over from that in a way that doesn't work my guess is it what what it is is that it was rushed or it was done without a particular like care for the same detail that comes in a lot of his work but it is very obvious and I think you know the wild thing mask is a great example especially because this is a team up that we're really excited to see and she's a character that we have loved throughout her time in this run so it's something you're really looking forward to getting a chance to experience and it just especially visually falls flat
0: and when I think about examples of where it maybe does let me down, I can point to page 13 of the issue where there's that panel of Rena looking right at Saberclaw and. First of all, I need to comment that Saberclaw represents one of the biggest complications that this universe suffered from, which is I've seen this character five times and I believe I have seen him drawn five different ways minimum. There does not seem to be consistency to the blueprint of the architecture of his face. While his coloring does seem to be very consistent and that makes him very recognizable, there are times that he feels a little bit more like Mangog wearing a Colossus suit than he necessarily feels like a child of Wolverine. And without getting too, you know, about something that we've mentioned a few times on this show, I genuinely find the inaccessibility of the lettering at times very frustrating. In this issue, it is specifically Enthrala's almost Disney mouse hat calligraphy on her introduction font. It's hard to read that her name is Enthrala. Her name looks like a Cinnabon. And I can't tell what the fuck I'm looking at. And that's not a strike against lettering. That's about how lettering is. As an industry has hugely evolved over time yeah i don't even i don't have
1: anything to add to. i thought her name was in for a second <laughs>
0: Oh my God. She makes my favorite pizza pockets. Speaking of not my favorite and art that I found troubling, the splash of the Fantastic Five showing up. This is their go-to move for the next 12 issues that we're going to discuss. Every time something looks bad for Mayday, a bunch of other people show up. Half the time, it's the Fantastic Five. I think this pinup is a really strong example of where I don't know that this looks like an original piece of fantastic five art this feels a little bit like the creative team reached down into there we know how to draw the fantastic four hearts and produced an image i feel like you know rena's neck is particularly intense and Spider-Girl's neck is also rather elongated. That combined with the forced perspective on things like comparing the arc of Johnny Storm's body where, hey, that's the Johnny Storm ass I'm used to. And then I compare that to the way that Enthralla's fingers lengthen down her hand toward the reader there's just something that says to me that this creative team, who are masters of their craft, who are kings of an industry, really weren't given an opportunity to create something that befit their level of ability and it unfortunately shows in the final product and I actually do understand why this one is not on Marvel Unlimited for that reason.
1: Yeah, absolutely. To go with it, there's really no story. A team up between Wild Thing and Spider Girl really kind of should have been a big deal. I think Rena never got her due in this universe and this is kind of the final the punctuation on that sentence because she won't really come back in any kind of big way after this but these two really could have been a hit as a team in the way that Peter and Logan are at their best when they are paired together this just wasn't really anything it wasn't the story wasn't like so offensively bad or terrible it just it wasn't really anything and for these two a story between the two of them should have been something really big and fun
0: i think it exists exclusively because it was the second wave of Launches And they wanted a Wild Thing Fantastic Five Spider-Girl cover to launch with their second Wizard One Half after Wild Thing One Half came out when she first appeared in J2. So it got people more excited for her title to come out. And then because of the delay on getting these things into the hands of readers... Low, it's a good couple of months later. Wild Thing and Fantastic Five are ending. Where's the interest? Speaking of where's the interest, yikes. This starts an arc for Jimmy Yama of what a poor sad sack. Not even like, oh, nice guy syndrome. No, this is sadder than the average nice guy. If he was a Care Bear, his image on his tummy would be him crying, holding himself. It Just himself. It wouldn't even be like an image. It would just be his own picture like somebody who goes to the mall and goes to one of those put your face on a t-shirt and puts their own face on their own fucking t-shirt and it says i like me like it is such a weird experience to see jimmy yama kicked for the next 12 issues but here a young woman named heather noble uses him for his math homework end of story that truly 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 end of story and i'm beleaguered by how end of story is. it's
1: so weird and like part of it is almost a little bit enjoyable because it's coming off of the really intense never shutting down thing with him and moose that i was it just felt like it was going to end in murder suicide so like just to go to a standard dorky teen that has it rough story line is a little bit of a relief but then it's like the same thing with it's it's clearly it's not moose's fault it's jimmy specifically that they're like whatever storyline he's in it's just the same 120 times getting more and more intense in a way that makes you start to worry
0: and this is the start of a new one of us for him And I feel like that really kind of talks about what one of my issues with the sketchbook is. It sounds so dumb that I have a problem with the sketchbook. But yeah, this doesn't feel like it really follows where Jimmy's been going. Don't get me wrong. I'm not upset that we're not continuing. I'm Jimmy Yama and I'm the testosterone monster. Hear my balls. But once again, the sketchbook in the back, flat out, it's like, yeah, this doesn't feature characters from what we're talking about. What? I don't understand. Why are you giving me references for more Nova? Why are you giving me Spiral? and spider venom i could have gotten any amount of rena who is supposed to be in this like she's supposed to be in this
1: yeah you get like a spider venom in there that's kind of cool but then the other villain is spiral who is not cool it's yeah it's like it's exactly that it is bonus content i guess but (laughs) i didn't
0: ask for any of it especially because it is premium bonus content that's kind of the problem it is premium bonus content when you're paying 6.95 for an issue when the standard going price of an issue at this point is like 195 you're really talking about an upscale in pricing that It does need to be worth it. I'm not coming for anybody in a nickel and dime kind of way, but there really is a sense to make sure that I feel like you take me seriously as a consumer that I do think that, you know, bad back matter. uh, Just don't charge me for it then. The
1: other thing I'll say is the depiction of Mayday in the sketchbook in street clothes is the closest one to approaching something like even mildly normal for a kid her age, like even slightly plausible, and it just makes me angry that somehow like pat olive clearly knew that the like this was the style that would work and somehow between a sketch and the final product they managed to get it wrong so many times
0: so many times and I think part of it also has to do with how long it seems to have taken Spider-Girl to really get somewhere that like from first idea to when it finally becomes like, oh, this is this is like a book. It's so many starts and stops. Like, I understand that Spider-Girl 17 is further further from Spider-Girl number one than Spider-Girl 17 is from Spider-Girl 27. But there's sort of this weird bounce that, like, Spider-Girl 17 feels like it could come out right after number one, and then... It kind of feels like there's a lot of filler till 27, but it's not filler I don't appreciate. But the book goes through like 10 voices in these next handful of issues. It's pretty wide. It
1: is. And while it is starting to pick up a sort of consistency in terms of being less silly and less like fall on your face miss for specific ideas, it unfortunately starts with this huge arc referencing the Clone Saga and this, this thing for Peter Parker that again if this is not a supposed to be continuity thing and I'll drop that because clearly it is like but this is a weird one to delve into this far into it when your character starting to hit her stride it's okay they actually do something that really works with it it's going to tie into a lot of important stuff for the MC2 is very clearly like a solid piece of continuity to say this is a really integral part of the Spider-Man mythos to the point where no matter what the background is no matter what the setup is, where we are in time. It makes sense to reference it and to acknowledge characters like Kane. I buy all of that. It ends up working relatively well. The problem is that there are other things like this in the previous 16 issues that really are not integral parts of Spider-Man continuity, but they're treated like they are. And filling those pages with that stuff sort of makes it so that by the time we get here and it's like, oh, the Clone Saga, are we really doing this? You have to do the work as a reader to allow yourself to sort of get into this and and buy it all the way through to the conclusion.
0: Because you're right when you say Clone Saga I do get kind of oh damn it And it's right on the cover, right on the cover. It says the daughter of the true Spider-Man. So they're still trying to distance themselves from the clone saga. And you made a comment about feeling like stuff might have been a little bit fillery. And, uh, you know, not exactly in a, ah, the chat wins kind of way, but more in a, you know, pad things out kind of way. And we're going to take a look at a handful of 38 page issues today, none of which needed to be 38 pages. Yes. That annual didn't need to be 38 pages either no absolutely
1: especially because it they they just don't take the extra space to do anything significant in terms of developing Mayday as her own person that is not You should always be looking at her while slightly looking over to the left at 616 Peter and asking yourself what's special about these two coming out at the same time.
0: And you know, that really was a huge amount of my notes on this amount of stuff where I'm like, oh, that's so that it's not the same thing as 616. Oh, and that's so it's more recognizable to 616. Turning point, Spider Girl 17 is really two issues. I understand that the idea was maybe a little bit more of like a Miller quality sort of intense, big narrative, 80s masterpiece kind of vibe. So they wanted it to have this very intense visual look, and it does. And they wanted it to run a little bit long, and it does. But it does wind up feeling a little bit jumbled by the end, because 38 Pages was not what this title at this point natively supports. Yeah, I think you're right about that.
1: And I think that, especially in the beginning, May is just... kind of on a very different journey than the one that peter is on and they really only kind of overlap in the most cursory of ways that actually there's something really interesting there there could be something interesting there but they don't really do anything with it so they're just kind of ships passing in the night while they're both dealing with their own angst. and by the end they do come together and it is what it is it's relatively interesting it's going to play out throughout the rest of the series but it does feel like two very distinct stories that could have been in two separate issues and brought together in a third rather than just kind of cutting back and forth in this weird way and trying to convince us that these are two cohesive narratives that belong together
0: because they don't and that is a big problem I have throughout this because vo- this is you know we said it last time and I'm going to say it again the book just gets better and better for the most part this does feel like the best volume these two in particular do feel pretty strong so I'm overall pleased with where the book is headed but the high school stuff is officially dating itself out of the book yeah may
1: has never really felt like a high schooler just like maybe the fact that she's in high school didn't really matter and that the most interesting parts about her weren't really about that not that she needed to be aged up to college age although maybe that might have solved the problem but just that this high school stuff it's like a A silly little intermission to whatever is going on with Spider-Girl that we care about, which usually has nothing to do with her high school life. She's not really close with any of her friends. They're having these insane, like, gay chicken dramas that she can never be a part of. Two guys are fighting over her, but she doesn't really seem to like either of them. And are they fighting? Maybe they're in love. None of it really seems to matter to her. It definitely doesn't matter to us. It's not the most interesting stuff. But we are kind of stuck here because she's the age that she is. And of course, they're not just going to be like, she dropped out of high school. Thank
0: <laughs> you. No, and that's one of the complications that makes this trying to slot itself into the world of classic Spider-Man so frustrating. Like, you could make the high school stuff more interesting. You really could, but not if you're trying to take away from the high school stuff to give us Kingpin. I don't even think this is a very interesting version of Kingpin, but when you give me Kingpin could get out of jail, suddenly jealous Brad doesn't seem very interesting. No, and then putting J. Jonah Jameson...
1: What I realized when we started getting into the buzz is that I love a lot of Pat Olive's art. It's all technically really good. His J. Jonah Jameson looks sickly and miserable at all times in a way that it actually starts to affect how I'm reading the character voice in my head and what I'm thinking is going on in the story versus when I see him in the buzz and he does just look like an aged up version of himself and have that same kind of like, this guy's really weird and crazy but, like, really high energy and high strung. J. Jonah Jameson's presence in here is another one that doesn't make a lot of sense, is weirdly tied in with May in the high school, but it doesn't really have any place there. It's not... These elements that are connected aren't actually tying the story together. They're just there to say, these stories are connected. You can
0: tell by the people that are in them. And, yeah, that's... Telling me the stories are connected because the same people interact with them is my main critique, my main, this is not working. The format of the book is starting to shift. They're going from everything's a one and done to a bit more of a serialized format. And we're starting to see things where we were being told in one page of May flying across the city, she would, you know, thought bubble 15 different things that I would have rather seen played out as their own two page scenes. So we are are starting to get that blend of this is why this stuff matters. These characters also go through that and it's a lot more show than tell at this point, for which I'm pretty excited, but then we still get Kane just walks into work and is just like, LOL, I'm just here to sexually hold Phil on the face and then throw him by, what? That's, that's not the pacing you're setting up anymore.
1: And in the meantime, we're getting a really similar MO from Dark Devil, which again, because I, I know we've got the Dark Devil story coming up, I'm looking forward to more and more and his presence is tolerable in that way of I can see we're driving towards something but again, it is a lot of the same beat over and over again a lot of expository dialogue a lot of him being like isn't it weird how mysterious i am i'm that person in a manner of speaking over and over again (laughs) And because these books are so extra long, it's like you could have actually just cut out three of those pages of him saying the exact same thing, and we could have
0: kept this short and sweet. Yeah, because as much as I'm a big fan of how the book is dynamically transforming, one of the things I don't need is I don't need for decompression. I need for a recognition of where the story could be kept tighter. And one of the things is I maybe need a little bit less Snidely Whiplash. I need a little less Boris and Natasha standing off in the background going, yes, and this is how the... We do it. Like, I need a little bit more I'm the bad guy, fight me. And a little bit less, and this is why you shall entwine with me upon the sky. Like, it's just, it's not what works... At this point in comics, culturally, we're at 2000 now. We're at the point where new X-Men and ultimate X-Men, ultimate Spider-Man, you know, a huge amount of change at Marvel is coming. And the stories that sound like this are kind of the Chuck Austin stuff, where that's the stuff that is not as fondly remembered from this time.
1: It's really just a matter of is this better or worse than the really silly, quippy, but I have never heard what a 16 year old girl in 1998 sounds like dialogue. I'm liking this sort of overwrought stuff a little bit more, but as it is getting me to like May more and as it's getting me more invested in the characters, it is making me think like, okay, let's find a solid
0: middle and start telling some like good, efficient, fun stories. For my money, the most economical use of page time in terms of beats, emotion, playing out the art is MJ and Peter. So, Peter, you looked so buff earlier. What you doing looking so skinny on this splash? But, like, I do love it. Peter owning his power and resuming Spider-Man. Mary Jane kind of at his side. I like the way it all plays out, but this is where it seems like sometimes everybody's like, only Mayday can save us. She is the spider hero. And other times they're like, quick, someone stop her before she gnaws on the electrical cable. So here it's only Mayday can save us. And it's like, I feel like every other issue, though, they treat her like a baby. So while the Peter stuff was, for me, a really good use of page time and character understanding, the May stuff was not the... The same level of effective.
1: I'm going to flip that a little bit because I think they do the same thing with Peter, wherein sometimes they're like, he could pick up that costume and be Spider Man anytime he wanted. And other times they're like, you're missing a leg. You can't do anything. And it's just this coin toss how the issue is going to decide Peter's feeling in terms of his own personal power.
0: I completely agree, because beyond the outdated search engine reference on page 18, when Peter says not bad for an old man with one leg, first the fuck of all, you're like 39, check it second the fuck of all as far as I'm concerned the man I'm looking at has two legs he just happens to have a disability and that's part of the language where I'm a little bit he might not have two biological legs but I don't like him acting as though I'm Spider-Man and because I've lost a leg I am some kind of no good nudnik no dude you're still fucking Spider-Man and that counts for something yeah absolutely I
1: would absolutely prefer that they go with the language of like he could still be Spider-Man whenever he wanted. He's just decided not to for whatever reason. I feel like they try and throw in the leg when it's like, let's add some tension. Let's add some conflict. Let's add a problem. Peter's missing a leg. But then you give us these moments where that really actually isn't a big deal. And the moments where it's not a big deal are more fun. They're more what we want to see. So it just comes off a little bit ableist and a little bit convenient.
0: And from ableist and convenient to perhaps... Exactly everything we've said is where the marketing failed on this universe. This is like the third or fourth fucking time that Peter and Mayday have fought together. You know, they fought together in like what the mall against Crazy Eight. And they fought together in the past. And here they're both suited up. But who got the cover? And whose name is on the book? Why did you give an unmasked Peter his own cover in Spider-Girl's book for their like fourth team up this is not peter's moment to return to the costume this is spider girl's book or it's not and i think that is part of the mistake as well
1: yeah you're absolutely right it's still looking over at 616 peter too and being like these things are all if you like one you should like the other buy it all get into it all and it doesn't leave a lot of room for us as the reader to really take may seriously as the anchor of this book and to want to focus on her, if we've got the writer and creators, creative team on the book telling us like, no, don't worry, Peter's still around. Don't go too far.
0: And part of that, I think, bothered me more later in the issue when they gave Peter a lot of scenes. I felt should have also gone to May. I like Peter fighting alongside Dark Devil, but May is the one who needs the emotional intensity with Dark Devil explored. Because at this point, you know, we've already said that we're going to discuss Dark Devil in the course of this episode, but this is the point you really needed to pivot the fuck away from Dark Devil having any sexual chemistry at all with Mayday. This was the point you needed to get away from that. And by not having them have a non-sexual moment by instead giving her a moment with someone by instead giving him a moment with someone else you've just kind of played into what is a big mc2 thing which is set something up leave it alone four issues later pick it back up i really needed mayday to fight alongside dark devil here not spider-man
1: i also think giving so much of this like shrouded reference to what happened in the clone saga is there's just so much like you know what you did and we're not going to reference it directly we're not going to like spell it all out for you but it's really important and yet we also know it's not the least bit important because all of these stories could be happening without any reference to the clone saga ever having happened Kane is a relatively like up to the task antagonist for this set of issues but like do you want this to be the clone saga part two and the clone saga to have been the most important thing that ever happened to Peter and if so write stuff that indicates that like dealing with with this again is incredibly difficult and painful for him and it could destroy his family and he's not telling his daughter the truth give us some like actual conflict from this or stop making vague references to how important it is in the history and like one day you'll find out because again it's taking time away from May it's taking interesting story beats away from her and it's putting Peter in in a way that tells the reader that he's important but doesn't really give him any importance and doesn't give him any emotional weight. By
0: constantly saying oh but there's always Peter over there oh but there's always Peter over there Mm. you really are making May less effective you are telling us that there is something more significant than May's story in her own title and that's not what I'm here to read I think the Kane in the final panel and that whole Wilson ending just feels a little bit on top of itself it's not necessarily a bad ending but I do feel like for an issue that had 38 pages I barely caught that Wilson didn't get his parole till the very end and i definitely did not realize that they had actually finally apprehended kane those were not things that i felt came through in the story
1: yeah because I, I feel the same way and the fact of the matter is they they didn't really matter to the conflict that was happening it was never clear what the stakes were again it was never clear what any danger anybody was in so at a certain point you just kind of stop paying attention to the outcome and that's how we get to this moment where there are wilson's back in prison kane's there with him Okay, we'll just start the next story back up.
0: And speaking of starting the next story back up, Spider-Girl number 18, Raptor's Regret is some sort of weird, like Spidey Brewster special. I'm so conflicted because this is what happens when you try to do a hard hitting story, but you do it in a way that doesn't commit to who is the good guy and bad guy. And it can be okay to be like that bad guy is also in trouble. Help them. But everything about Raptor's regret just slightly misses the mark for me, and I would love to know how you felt about finally, like, legitimately getting the buzz instead of having him just kind of thrown at us
1: in this particular book i did not super care the big reveal of who the buzz is is really apparent right off the bat so that didn't really do anything for me again we're starting to get a hint with this art of the really great saturday morning cartoon style that i love this for me is a very standard mayday monster of the week episode slash issue didn't really love any particular part of it but especially coming off of just the really dense stuff that was kind of going nowhere with the previous issue this was a nice like let's return to form she's a kid who fights crime let's have a little bit of that and see where this takes us for the next issue
0: yeah I think if I had any notes it was that perhaps the specific language kind of let me down this was an issue where the beats were fine the dialogue was just where things weren't quite as tight as I wanted this is the 20th issue of spider girl and it's the 45th issue of the mc2 universe overall and at 45 issues of this world i'm not quite sure why we're focusing on this like saucy salty man bitch saga of brad can't get his dick wet so he's going to take it out on everyone he knows while still playing the nice guy victim And, you know, we have Spider-Girl saying she has a 10 p.m. curfew. What the fuck, 10 p.m. curfew? I'm so glad. What, the vulture's never going to attack at midnight? Good call, Peter. And then Peter names two vultures and, for no reason, the fly. And it becomes... clear to me that this is such a unique vantage point this is like defalco doesn't want you to think about what isn't going to be necessary to the story so he's trying to frame things really specifically and if it felt like everything before this had been on this level this would feel a little bit more natural while i like the direction it is a little bit of a shock to read
1: I will say this is where you get that first J. Jonah Jameson who looks like an older version of J. Jonah Jameson that I'm just like, yeah, that's the guy. That's what I've been expecting this whole time. and He's even got like one eyes bulging out and he's pointing and screaming at somebody. And I'm just like, this is such a refreshing contrast to the weird sad sack who's like always frowning and looking sickly and just like seems to be mumbling something in the
0: background or in a courtroom. He seems like a very sick mall walker. <laughs> yes speaking of seems like a very sick mall walker I just need to interact with this idea that we can create sympathy or a sense of stakes by hurting random bystanders. Page eight, where Theo Rudolfo is on his way home to see his wife and he's never gonna get to dance again and it's their wedding anniversary and it's a tumultuous marriage where he's so excited to be with his wife and instead of dancing with Linda, he's gonna have to try and breathe with a tube down his throat and like, that doesn't make me care more about Spider Girl. It doesn't heighten my emotional state I have so many characters in this book that I feel like I am desperate to get some characterization on and I may truly believe I know more about Theo Rudolfo than I know about Davida Kirby. I think that's 100% correct. That's that's wild. That's real wild. I
1: mean the only thing we know about Davida is that she likes basketball and is kind of friends with Mayday but I don't really think any of these people are actually friends with Mayday because she doesn't spend any quality time with them. So like this guy who gets six panels with a ton of narration I mean you know expository narration not the best thing ever but uh, yeah a lot of the characters could could use something like that in these last, you know, almost two dozen issues to get them up to a level where we care about them and then also maybe we use them a little bit more rather than still adding in new Monsters of the Week.
0: Yeah, and I'll be honest, I actually kind of like this Monster of the Week. There's something weird about the lettering in this issue that I can't help but notice. This was definitely at a point where we're not really sure what's going on with font accessibility. There's some really weird sizing There's some weird font changing, you know, for all intents and purposes, unless you're Todd Klein in 1993, letters aren't really hand-lettered as a rule anymore. You know, it's really strong font use. It's making sure you pick fonts that make sense. And, you know, the weird fonts aside, my only other major kind of like eh, about the visuals of this issue, because I actually love the art this issue. I thought the art was really interesting. It had a really great vibe, really strong color. I sometimes think Raptor's like headpiece looks kind of like like bandages, and other times it looks like big bird raptor wings. She's an interesting design. I like her visual. The she's beaten by her boyfriend stuff is not done well at
1: all. No, and there are other villains that we could have let go earlier to make room for this one. She is a solid villain. She would make a lot of sense to have return. I think it's always good to have Mayday in conflict with other women and to sort of see how that can turn a standard superhero versus supervillain story on its head, hopefully never involving weird domestic violence tropes that are not handled delicately at all. The only problem is that we're here and we went through a period with so many, like if we just had never had their janitor dragon,
0: Yeah. And that she is a Drago, which they go out of their way to mention makes her a legacy bird villain is of note. I don't love that her boyfriend looks like a low rent hackers straight to video sequel version of Doc Ock but it's fine this is an issue that i think really fits my this book could have been called mcu team up featuring spider girl it should have been spider girl and someone every issue and this could have been spider girl and the buzz the buzz action on this issue is kind of fun i think the character plays whatever role they need him to as the other hero. There's a lot of that other hero in Spider-Girl at this point, whether it's Stinger or even sometimes Phil. And Buzz does a good job, and he looks different enough from Spider-Girl. The colors were nice. Overall, I liked the way this issue looked.
1: Yeah, I feel the same way. It's a good portent of the fun that's going to come with Buzz later. He is a solid character. He and May have a good chemistry. You know, when you compare to somebody like Nova, who again, just if we never saw Nova and instead had more Buzz, really definitely be a lot happier with that. So I'm happy that he's in this issue. I, I like everything about this. It just maybe is, um, too little too late is not the right term, but you know when we don't get solid beats on some of this stuff or when it comes after something that was a bit of a slog to get through because we've had to deal with so much of this stuff in the past. I get a little nitpicky about the stuff that I wish could be better because I just feel like after this much time, let's take it to a more heightened place, especially as we're seeing it get its footing.
0: I wish that the writers had that vibe because I do want the title to get more footing. And instead, issue 19, while fun and while a send up and cute, it really broke up my sense of momentum momentum because instead of moving any of the stories forward in specific ways we moved the stories further in these sadly thinking about it kind of ways and I just am not sure that this was the reflective story I needed spider Girl's story in this where she faces off against the sons of the serpent sure I know these guys come back up they've come up a few times great but what the hell spider girl story was that yeah, this is a weird issue. It feels more like an issue of J2 than it does like an issue of Spider Girl with all of its short little, little boop, boops, and these like little, you know, mini narratives. Spider Girl contributes nothing to this issue and it's her own goddamn book. And then we get the world's weirdest Jimmy Yama story. And one is called Fantasies, one is called Wishes, the next one is called Disney Magic. Mariah Carey's gonna come out, she's gonna christen the cruise ship. I am so not sure who this issue was for. I mean, we
1: were just talking about how some of the characters could kind of use a solid page with some expository narration. This was not what we had meant when we said that, because this is nothing. We already know that Jimmy is miserable and wishes he was somebody else. We did not need full fantasies depicting each of the people that he wishes he was, making him even sadder to us. Courtney, like, maybe, but it was just such a weird story and just the idea that like Courtney sees herself as spider girl in any way just I don't really think does Courtney justice spider
0: bangs spider
1: weird headpiece coming out the top that nobody would ever let happen. The moose one is one-off joke that wastes an entire page to tell itself. Like, I get the idea of, like, every once in a while, you want a fun little breakup issue that gives you a little bit of insight into the characters. It doesn't give us any insight into May because May's story is just kind of a really shortened Spider-Girl story that doesn't tell us anything. The three schoolmates of hers, it doesn't really tell us anything that we didn't already know about them, and it doesn't connect them to Which is the that's one of the big things that we really need is we need her experience in high school to in some way be relevant to continuing this story and not just like this thing that I keep forgetting she's supposed to be doing.
0: Because as you're describing it, I'm realizing how Jimmy just really wishes that he was his cousin. He just wishes he was his cousin with the hotter dad, because without knowing it, J2 is much more connected to the Ant-Man family. Not that he says he wants to just be connected to Ant-Man, but like Ant-Man, Stinger, Stinger to J2. He imagines being J2. I can't imagine wanting to be Psylord, but that's a choice he makes. I love the Captain America look. Like, there's things that are fun about it, but you're right. It just makes me so Sad because it makes me realize all of the things he wishes were different about himself. Each one of them is a different kind of, quote unquote, better than he is. And it just bums me out almost as much as trying to remind me Norman Osborne exists in the Courtney segment bums me out. <laughs> and the fact that they follow up on it a few pages later. Oh, I love that Thunderstrike is in this as well. <laughs> Thunderstrike, who's not even in this dimension anymore. <laughs> Argo, who is in the foreground on the left, looking like a Bill Sienkiewicz painting It's absolutely incredible. And my note about the Moose page, and maybe I'm reading this too deeply, but is this offensive or problematic? Because here's my questioning on it. If Moose is genuinely sort of this complicatedly simple, then I don't know how much I'm willing to believe in his place in this story as somebody who is capable of functioning in this group, this fast paced life or death situation group, not because there isn't room for a character of different ability, but because otherwise the authors don't understand how this kind of character should be in this situation. I'm at the point where I need Mayday to put on the fucking suit, go up to Moose when he's with Courtney and be like, I'm not her. Thwip, thwip, gotta go. And swing out because I'm worried that Moose's place in this story is gonna get him killed.
1: Well, and you know, that's a really perfect example of something that we're seeing come up in, in the high school story that could be really interesting. This idea that Moose is getting way, way, way too obsessed with Courtney being Spider-Girl or who Spider-Girl is. And, you know, it is proof that he's got a wild internal monologue that is leading him off on these sort of adventures and tangents that might be a little stupid, but are could lead to an actual interesting piece of story and conflict. So to take one whole page, the joke of which is Moose has no thoughts, when we clearly know that he does, he's way overthinking this Courtney Spider-Girl thing. Even to just have this page be overthinking Courtney as Spider-Girl, that would have been funny. It really wouldn't have told us anything, but at the very least, it wouldn't have been one page that literally does not tell us anything as a joke.
0: I agree. And I wonder if maybe they knew that the next, like bunch of issues and bunch of pages were all going to be dedicated to thinking about the Goblin legacy and what it means to be a Goblin because this Normie story it was pretty well done. I didn't expect to get layers of psychosis to Normie the abridged backstory functions much in the same way whenever we get it for May it functions like the last days of Spider-Man kind of stories. It was clever I do wonder how him sitting in lockup that whole time in a psychiatric care facility. No one's been able to notice this tech device in his what totemic tulpa what the fuck is (laughs) happening with that thing no one notices the glider approaching if maybe this was a world where there was no annexed and no j2 and no fantastic five i'd believe it but you're telling me that in this future of superheroes nobody sees the glider coming
1: yeah it's a little facile because i saw how the story paid off reflecting back on this particular piece now i do like it a little bit more i just these repeated beats of going back to the parker Osborne legacy and the the adult characters it, when it's not done the way i want to it it does just kind of come off as it was more interesting when it happened with the parents and now we're suffering through you trying to deal with your childhood trauma there are ways in which that can be interesting this one i think does pay off but this particular piece of story like it's it's cool his tattoos are freaking me out every time i try and look at this to like keep talking i'm seeing the tattoos again it's just the most ridiculous thing
0: yeah the tattoos do start to feel at some point like james franco was cast in a post malone biopic, and it's just too much.
1: Very Spring Breakers 2. He's clearly an important villain in the Mayday Peter story. This is a good start to whatever the next chapter is going to be. I can't suspend my disbelief that much. There's just no way some of this stuff works. And it's a comic book. It takes a lot for me to say that. Sometimes I think you, know, you can't just say, well, kids read them, so it doesn't matter. You've got to come up with something a little bit better.
0: Yeah, Don't excuse that some people don't think more as a reason to think less about your art. Thank you. That's definitely never been a good reasoning for me. There is a quality to which everything is its thing. And when I read Mighty Low Marvels by Chris Giacchulo, I am not expecting to get, you know, Anna Karenina in three panels featuring Muppet Baby versions of Marvel characters. I'm expecting three panels of Muppet Babies featuring the Marvel characters. But when I plop down what is considered industry standard price for an industry standard length comic about characters that are meant to carry the banner of an entire publishing group that's what I'm looking to and I feel that the final pages of 19 are made better by the bulk of 20 and I do need to own up to something you know how sometimes you convince yourself that there were multiple seasons of a show and you go back and you're like wow I guess it was just one season and there was a break and my brain just remembers it as multiple seasons because I remember so many episodes. Yes. Yeah. I did that with Phil Urich. (sighs) in a big, big fucking way. To this day, Phil Eric has less than 100 appearances. You thought he was the linchpin of the Marvel Universe, huh? Yeah, I mean, like, I really thought he was Donna Noble and that he was the most important person in the universe and that he was the Metacrisis Goblin. But it turns out that he's not, like, at all. So he has 27 appearances before MC2 launches and then he doesn't appear for, like, three years, has three appearances in Daredevil, doesn't appear for, like like four years, appears like 12 times between Runaways and Loners. Phil Uric is kind of sad goblin like he is the silly goblin he's the goblin knight like it's hard not to kind of laugh at him and he man there is something tragic woven into this character there is an endless uncool to this character and it's not for not trying you know when i think about brian Austin green's character on 90210 and i think about how david was like the biggest nerd and like Yeah, David wanted to be cool, but, like, you know, he didn't know how. And, like, I think about what Brian Austin Green, like, grew up into and, like, what he looks like now and that he married Megan Fox, kind of different course of life than Donna Martin. And, you know, Phil Urich, clearly as a kid, thought that, I'm David, but I'm going to grow into real life Brian Austin Green. But actually... Phil Urich, it turns out, grows into the third assistant in four episodes across nine seasons of CSI, who gets one line in one episode, but Mark Harmon speaks over it. Is Mark Harmon on CSI? I don't know those shows. But I also don't think I know Phil, it turns out, so that kind of tracks.
1: Yeah, it's funny because it does feel like this is a new universe. You guys could have done whatever you wanted with them and you chose this.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. You chose this. And he, uh, you know, I don't know what it is that they're like color code him. Maybe we're going to get a multiverse of Phil Uric and they're all going to be color coded. A green goblin, a gold goblin, a blue whale. And that's how we're going to do it. But there is something unlikable about Phil Uric, especially at this point in the series. This is the first issue where I'm like, no, Phil Uric sucks. I'm not quite at sucks, but doesn't matter, definitely. He does not matter.
1: Oh man, Blue Whale was a really huge strike against him in terms of ever thinking that he could like figure out how to be a superhero I would get into. They just never should have put that image on panel. I don't it's irredeemable. He's got like the same kind of quality as Jimmy Yama, where he's just really sad and it seems like nothing particularly good or interesting ever happens to him. But the difference is he doesn't seem to realize that's what's going on. So he's not even bitter. He just is floating through life waiting for somebody to tell him what to do and then he does it and like occasionally for some reason he just maniacally laughs but it's for good not for evil it's an odd bunch of choices
0: and you know for a bunch of odd choices they did make some good choices for every the courtney moose stuff won't stop making me deeply uncomfortable on a metabolic level (laughs) there is the like non-stop roid attack of mary jane basically going up to normie and being like Little boy, don't make me hit you with my purse. And like, I love her. I love this Mary Jane. I don't know why, because she's barely on panel. But I dig her, because she reminds me of the kind of mom I wanted to see in superhero comics. Supportive without, because like as a kid, I always saw it when like Xavier and Magneto were like, "We must find where the new mutants have gone." I was always kind of like, "Why? They're just having fun. Stop it, Eric." Yes, I said Eric. Please don't be mad at me, Mister Magneto. Like that was like always how like I I felt about it. So there's a way in which I think Mary Jane is active and involved in an appropriate way, and yet I do believe she is hands off enough. Because in all of my notes, I refer to her as one of the Spider heroes when Mary Jane gets involved it's still spidering because you can't be the wife and the mother of a spider character and not equally be a spider so yeah I kind of did like the the sense of women are capable especially watching Peter and Phil fail this issue
1: and you know we've seen her be supportive the whole time I think anytime that she is off-putting to me it's only because Peter is being off-putting and she's trying not to be combative with her husband which yeah, it's a strategy I I appreciate it but she has always it seems like been pretty fine with the idea that Mayday would be spider girl even when it got dangerous I think if Peter had never had any problem with it Mary Jane never would have had any problem with it all of her problems were just Peter said no so I can't go again like we can't be against each other on this so I'm saying no as well but when Peter's in on it she's super in on it she's a really quality supportive mother to a child but then mother to a superhero in that way where yes like you would want somebody who who doesn't have the same level of fear when approached by a supervillain and who has been in life or death scenarios enough times that when somebody shows up to her that is not necessarily actually the most threatening encounter she's ever had and she knows that it's actually a kid that she helped to raise or saw grow up she would be like i'm not actually scared go the fuck away what is wrong with you it's a very true characterization and while not every part of her characterization is perfect because for me peter is missing the mark in a lot of ways and feels like just not the peter that i want mary jane really shines as being much closer to what
0: i would think she would be in my mind as a mother and honestly if it weren't for the fact that there is somebody far more pathetic than peter to balance peter out it would be hard not to think of peter as like the trash man yeah. because and that's something i'd even said early on i was like great now that peter's training mayday what the hell point does phil have ah Phil, as if Peter was sad, and like Peter's a bummer, but Phil makes me sad. Phil makes me sad in a special way that like there's certain YouTube compilation video channels I just can't watch before bed makes me too sad for humans. That's how I feel about Phil. He's one of those guys where like his Facebook would just disappoint me.
1: And again, it's entirely voluntary that it's like this because they can write him however they want and they make choices like giving him other people that he trains. Like he could have a business training young superheroes and be really happy about that. And like we get glimpses of him doing it but somehow he still does it pathetically and somehow he still does it in this way that's like as long as peter and mayday say it's okay i'll keep training you like it just there's nothing about him that's like yeah i was in the superhero game and now i'm kind of connected and i do this tram i'm like a superhero coach which is pretty cool and if i wanted to i could throw the costume back on and it wouldn't be weird and i would have terrible dialogue it just like it doesn't feel like the point is ah here witness the glorious tragedy of phil urich it's like i don't know this is just how we wrote the guy
0: yeah yes it's haphazard it's haphazard sadness almost like he's this sort of thing that peter could have been the sad way peter could have been portrayed and almost like but at least we're not doing that right yeah like like as terrible as peter is like
1: for all the times peter's like i can't help my leg after just helping with his leg at least
0: he's not phil And that's kind of the way this becomes the final issue of an arc. I was so glad that Lady Hawk showed back up. The way she shows back up is horrifying, but it was nice to see her, especially because you just pointed out that we do want to see Phil and his hero coaching. And I think horribly injuring the young black woman is gauche yeah you just don't have enough black
1: women no not necessary especially when we just like write random men who are going to dance with their wife on their anniversary you can't just fit somebody in there to torture right
0: and speaking of torture and I mean torture there's so much interpersonal drama in this issue in a way that does kind of feel like high school I have to wonder why no one is helping Moose at this point like why is no one protecting him from himself including May and you know then we get that moment of May training with Lady Hawk but it's a moment and then all of a sudden we're back at school and I'm like why is this panel here and then we get a quick rapid fire of oh A next and J2 is suddenly really scared of the Hulk again what the fuck is happening
1: Yeah. And again, I just don't buy high school as important for May Day. Like at this point, I would love for Peter to say like, you should drop out and get homeschooled and just fight crime. Like me and Phil will coach you. You can just do it full time. Very clearly. I know that's not going to happen. I'm not crazy, but it does feel like there's no investment in why especially the high school part of her world is important. But it's given so much weight that when we try and pull all these elements, her relationships in high school, her relationships with people, with other superheroes her villain relationships her parents it's just a lot and some of that stuff there's interesting stories to draw from and in the high school stuff it feels like there should be but she's just never even when we get to like the last page of the issue and she's seeing both brad and jj at the place where she's going
0: to meet them it's one page it doesn't matter anymore Truly. It's one page. It doesn't matter anymore. And it's one of the reasons that I feel like we forgot to mention that it's finally revealed that J.J. is related to J. Jonah in a way that's supposed to be just surprising I guess. (laughs) But it's not. And I think that she refers to Franklin as a hunkster in this issue is uh, actionable. And it's At least cool to see a team up that indicates to me that Mayday is growing because early on, I felt like Mayday got into team-ups explicitly to have people introduced, but here, you know, Earthshaker isn't exactly Doctor Strange levels of, oh, how are we going to defeat him? But he would present a problem for Mayday, considering her main method of attacking him is, I'm going to repel trash at you. Trash. Trash in your face. More trash in your face.
1: Yeah, I mean, my counter to that is also that Earthshaker is yet again another person that we did not necessarily need to add. Into this very
0: packed title. Oh, yeah. No, there's too many bad guys, and there's too many good guys. And the fact that I still think JJ looks exactly like Brad, and it doesn't help when I see them on the same page. Sometimes I think Courtney looks like Moose. Like, there's just times that there's too many characters in too small a space. Like when I saw Funny Face, I was like, wait, what happened to Crazy Eights? Mm. Oh fuck right unrelated character and then it turns out deeply related character and i'm it does make me a little tired Like, not to sound dramatic, but there is a certain sense of that was only the fourth volume of Spider-Girl.
1: Yeah. We're also at a point, one of the big things, I think it's getting problematic that none of her friends know who she is. I think that would be a really important way to start to ground the high school story a little bit more if there were some stake for them in the fact that she's Spider-Girl. It's just, they're such disconnected stories. I hate to keep harping on it, but she's Spider-Girl who happens to have to go to high school because she's legally obligated. She is not Mayday Parker, who is super engaged with her friends and loves being in high school and everybody loves her. And she's trying to figure out how to be spider
0: And I think talking about how to be Spider-Girl is a really important thing because the book finally has proper editors. Whether it's Mike Marts or Matt Hicks, the book from now on is no longer solely in the control of Tom DeFalco, and that does mean that we are going to see a very different kind of May Parker. We're going to see a May Parker that isn't like, you know, such a mono voce sort of predicament, but one thing that that does mean is we've added another male voice to this story, and not another female voice to this story, and Dance Fever is one of my favorite issues of the series, so far, by far, and one of my least favorite because of the predictably problematic, girls are dopes for boys, yo to do kind of attitude that May Parker, a woman who is, you know, in charge of life or death, who is fucking fighting up there alongside a guy who was able to create a parallel reality to store his family in. She's up there with Franklin fighting alongside him. She's so plagued by which dude to make out with at the dance. Like, this is not what I needed from May, but what this is of that very save by the bell, banana kind of vibe this is a phenomenal version of that story yeah it is
1: we're getting a little bit more I think with the addition of an editor we're starting to get the moments that I was literally just complaining we weren't getting where it does feel like she has some investment in her high school life like it does matter to her on some degree Um, you know just to have a solid few pages in a row where she's actually like fretting about something the other thing I want to point out is somebody uh, took a sharp turn in the sort of character designs and clothing and it's updating in a way that is much more accurate to the time that it ought to be which makes it a lot easier to not sort of get lost in how silly everybody looks and how completely disconnected from any sense of time they are. It's because we are talking about May as like this character that is rubbing elbows with Franklin it would be so cool to see a story where she's like I fully admit that this is dumb and that I am spider girl and also trying to figure out how to deal with my own hormones and liking like caring about Brad or JJ is a stupid thing but I still care like that's always a story that I think is a really funny one and that's one that you would be more likely to find with some female voice participating in the creative process and one that I think like an older
0: straight male audience would just never even think to put on page absolutely because the thing that I find myself so frustrated by in this issue is that I am really starting to notice that may thinks about characters like her uncle or her dad or normie or brad or jj or dark devil or the buzz, a whole lot more than she thinks about people like Courtney, Devita, Mary Jane, Lady Hawk, Stinger. She is so much more concerned with the hunkster Franklin Richards' Psylord, which, yikes, that she doesn't think about what she could learn from an amazing woman superhero like Elijah. And there's... Five people on the Fantastic Five, and yet the number of women didn't increase greatly. You know, there's just some things that we're not getting right in this universe in terms of understanding gender identity, understanding gender economics, understanding the ways in which Spider-Girl is fighting against a male-dominated tide where the men set all the rules, hold all the cards, and she is still struggling to be taken seriously as a young person, as a new hero, as a legacy hero, and then on top of that, her boobs are literally wrapped in the insignia. So there is something that is becoming increasingly... I am aware that they treat her like a young girl as we go further.
1: Yeah. I just so wish that she would tell Davida her secret identity. Like That, to me, would be a huge change in the story. For her to have one close girlfriend who knows her situation that she can talk to and that it, you see it depicted on panel could really change the flow of every issue.
0: And I did notice a few times in this issue that maybe, or this run in this volume, that they hinted that perhaps Davida's getting close. Yeah. But- It's taking way too long, and I loved the shit out of this fight sequence. Mm -hmm. It did not go on too long. The number of people who came into play, I actually forgot that it started with Dark Devil versus Funny Face and wound up the buzz versus funny face like I had just completely not realized it until I saw them collide into each other that I was like oh wow we really are bringing together a number of stories my main complaint was the story I didn't want brought into this was J. Jonah Jameson the why are you doing this to me yeah but you know already apparent here
1: why that story is a part of this and what this has to do with the expanding continuity and the expanding character list and I Unfortunately, it's one of those things that they treat like it's a big reveal and like it's not just really kind of clumsy and obvious. It would work so much better if they just accepted right off the bat that there probably was not going to be a good way in this particular book to have a reveal like who is the buzz and have us actually be surprised or have it be anything big. So take that, just accept it and have some fun with it where you don't worry so much about the reveal and you're not trying to hide where characters are at certain moments or like play up certain characters in a way that you think is subtle, but it's not really like just accept that it's really obvious from page one and have a little fun with it.
0: I agree, and I think that there was more fun to be had with this next run of issues than they had. Number 23, The Girl with the Power, number 24, Dragon Fist, and number 25, The Savage Six, actually represented a missed opportunity for me. I feel that The Girl with the Power and The Dragon Fist stories are both a little bit more along the lines of j Two seventeen pagers. I would have loved to have seen that additional space used to see the calling together of the the savage six as backup features because there is nothing about spider girl 23 the girl with the power that isn't the utmost pinnacle of everything about a comic from 2000 she's you know competitively playing this other young woman in basketball and the other young woman's just too good and so then it seems like maybe that i mean spider girl's fucking doxing this girl (laughs) like it actually is spider girl abusing her power as a superhero and the trust that people have when they see that costume swinging through the sky. It's something that gets addressed on like Brooklyn Nine-Nine in the final season about when police officers, you know, we sometimes laugh and plot lines Ah, because he knew it was the right thing to do, but that's not the real world. And, you know, she comes dangerously close to doxing people here. And for it to ultimately be that the young woman does have abilities and she is using telekinesis, I'm annoyed, actually, that in some ways Spider-Girl was right to invade this woman's privacy because she was, quote unquote, a little bit cheating at basketball. May, so are you.
1: Yeah, the unfortunate thing is that if everything had played out as it did, but with better perspectives and with some sort of like just. Just because you turned out to be right that she was telekinetic doesn't mean that anything that just happened was right. And also, like, stop being competitive with women and only thinking about boys. This is somebody who could have been a friend. Like, realize the missed opportunities in your own
0: life. These Because, you know, there's a long history of Spider-Man working with completely human people. How many completely human Avengers are there? There would be room for a, you know, taskmaster-like physical fighter who might not have perfect mimicry, but if she can learn a basketball playbook, she can learn maneuvers. Like, I think yeah, exactly what you said. I would have loved it if she was human because show us something like that. That would be great. Yeah, just play around a little bit with uh, these stories are all taking
1: pretty obvious tropes and applying them to Spider-Girl with the idea that like, it's her turn now. Like, everybody goes through this. Let's see May go through it. And that's fine. There are a bunch of fun stories. They do develop the character overall as a whole, but I think I think at this point, what really would have been interesting is to say, like, here's a trope, we're going to spin it on its head because A, this is not the normal Marvel Universe, and B, this is not the normal Spider-Man. So see what happens when, you know, we have a character that is trying to get through high school and does things a little differently. See what happens when we have a character who starts to get jealous of somebody else and handles it not in the same way that her father would have done. That really is where some interesting storytelling could have lied for May, and we didn't get it here fine. The story continues regardless, but you do see the missed opportunity.
0: And I do notice a couple of little background opportunities that they did take. For instance, I am now at the point where like, you know, when somebody comes to school one day and they reveal they have like a cool talent, like someone's an amazing singer or they won some competition and somebody else won't stop like piping them. Yo, did you hear this person did that thing? Like I'm at the point where Moose is like, hey, did you guys want to help me put a target on Courtney so people can kill her? for being Spider-Girl. Do <laughs> you guys want to help me get Courtney dead? I want to see your dead. Because that's what it's turning into. And then, the, I'm, I'm not here for anybody. But, like, the F5 fought an alternate universe monster. Wild Thing fought a new mutant. This journalism sucks. This is, like... Wow. Yeah. That's nightly. That's nightly. And like, what do you mean she fought a new mutant? Why are you going around telling people people's genetic codes? What the fuck business of yours? What my 23 and me is? You don't need to know I'm a mutant. Okay. I can move things with my mind. Maybe it's gamma. Maybe it's mutant. You don't have a right to know. You don't have a right to ask me. And like, what the fuck? I don't know. Some of that little background stuff was silly, but yeah. And then like, and then May just sits in the basketball locker room, just all like... I
1: also want to point out the hilarious idea in 26 that May has changed her hair by growing it out.
0: Oh, my God. I cannot wait to point out her barely different hair,
1: (laughs) which is only longer. The only thing about it that's different is that it's longer. So there is
0: no reveal to be had here none none though okay actually I do have a question and I want you to reach way back into the way back machine of your mind and when we take a look at 24 dragon fist didn't we see iron fist way back in the issue that was like jug Fu? oh yeah so this feels a little bit confusing like that doesn't get brought up I believe we saw the other iron fist so like that makes sense but what this issue was I I you know there's sometimes stories where if you're not in that moment you don't really get it. People sometimes are like, "What do you mean there was an entire genre of like film and movie that was putting people in reality TV programs and thinking it's unique?" Like Truman Show and Ed TV. Yeah, no, that was like a genre of film. People doing stuff with the president's daughter for a day. Genre of film. Like there were just things that happened that yeah, that was just kind of a storytelling thing. There really was like a period of like. 30 years at Marvel where for some reason over 30 years even though it was being done for at some point 29 years by that point it was cutting edge to tell a story about a person who was not quite that superhero playing that superhero somehow connected to that superhero when the bad guy is a third party that's neither that person nor the superhero this is like an unfortunate beat for beat trope that Marvel did over and over for 30 years
1: yeah and then when you add to that the we weird Danny Rand whitewashing of the Iron Fist stuff that comes up no matter what. This one's not really a surprise. People barely picked up on that like two years ago. So the fact that we're in 2000 and nobody thought that even now it might be a good idea to just like skip Danny Rand entirely. Somebody else is the new Iron Fist. This is just a really convoluted one. It doesn't really have anything to do with May. <laughs> This is their own problem that they've really got to figure out. She, I mean, she shows up and fights, but it all of this could have happened really without her.
0: If I keep saying that other issues were MC2 team up, this is just MC2 law and order. Yes. She just comes in in the middle of something already happening to other people. Right. It's
1: not even her procedural. She just it shows up in the middle of it for some reason to, I
0: guess, for backup, maybe. Yeah. And you know what doesn't help? That it's some weird, very sort of motionless combat and that's kind of hard to express but like there's usually a more fluid sense of motion to an iron fist combat kind of situation where i get like spider-man is all about the pinup moments but iron fist is all about the movement so there's some awkward hugging there's some awkward posing there's some it looks like you're flying sideways and that both versions of iron fist have such dreadful close costumes is a little frustrating because the headpiece looks too similar. I like that it's three different men, all who sort of claim the Iron Fist sort of kind of, and two of them are Asian. So that's at least a lesson learned. You can always
1: tell when it's Danny because of the horrible mustache
0: oh my god the terrible Hulk Hogan mustache I can't even stand it it's terrible I really I was like
1: oh he's the true villain because of the mustache and I kept waiting for the reveal and it never
0: came no and like by now Danny is not just like in our world in our time Danny's not just hot but like you know Iron Fist has gone on to be a revitalized franchise we've had a chance to talk with the writer of the revitalized franchise Alyssa Wong and like I kind of want to know what she thinks of this Iron Fist where they tried to have Danny Rand pass on the mantle to a young Asian martial artist sooner. So it'd be interesting. All right. You want to do uh, the Savage Six?
1: I mean, I don't want to, but it is the next issue. And so we have to, again, acknowledge the fact
0: that Killer Watt exists. This is, for my money, while one of the longest issues at 39 pages, one of the least interesting and least... Content inclusive issues. Whether it's the her new hair is J Lo at the Grammys hot huge problem. That is such an outdated reference now, and J Lo is still famous in our world. You know what I mean? Like there is such a weird disconnect that they could have known that, and because there's tons of references that didn't stand the test of time, so it does come off really weird. I don't know. For me, I am just very frustrated that it's Dragon King problematic killer what just sort of dumb raptor hey we liked her okay mr abnormal he is just absolutely a penis joke waiting to happen the most off model saber claw yet and then finally we get the direct line drawn between funny face and crazy eight like it's not painful and the idea
1: that this is her Sinister Six,
0: again, if they had just
1: been like, obviously these guys are all terrible, that's why it's funny. Like Peter Parker had this iconic Sinister Six that you all remember and think about. Look how lame hers are. And this is what she stuck with. Like, isn't that funny? Let's have some fun with it. Could have been one of the best issues in the series. But we are expected to take this group of people seriously and treat them as though they are the same as Peter Parker. Sinister Six. They are simply not. There is nothing threatening about two-thirds of them.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, they're not particularly threatening. I'm not scared of Dragon King. Mr. Abnormal is a bad joke. Saberclaw goes down way too easy. Funny face and crazy eights. Yeah, you know what? The scariness there is that they are unhinged, but this issue actually makes them both very not scary to me. They both very much resemble the Daredevil villain, the Jess So I think funny face is meant to be pretty on model for the jester and his plan of like one by one have her fight all of these people is such a bad plan because the goal really should be, you know, win. And if you exhaust all of your resources like this, you're not doing a very good job. The fact that the main bad guy here is undermined by somebody who says he's going to fail the whole time makes him failing. Not shocking. The five fucking splash pages pages of her fighting members of the Savage Six, none of them are like pinup quality. And this is a pinup quality art team. So it feels like maybe they weren't given the time they needed to do the book. This is just a very disappointing 25th issue.
1: Yeah, they're not having fun with it. This would have been a really good one to have some fun with and to be a little silly and to focus on something other than how does May do a standard superhero trope.
0: And I love that you pointed out that it's just not fun. It doesn't feel celebratory of May getting her own Sinister Six. Like, that's a big thing. You know, getting your own rogues gallery, that's something that, not that I expect her to, in-universe, celebrate getting a rogues gallery, but as readers, that is something that we associate with a character reaching a new level of success. That's something that we root for a character to get. We cheer for that. So the idea that you want us to feel at times like it's super okay that May has in some scenes no page time even though it's a plot she's a part of and the kidnapping plot does nothing for me I don't I don't like the high school kids that is the situation that I'm at and like I do actually absorb a lot of like you know teen drama art it's a genre that I enjoy and like I am a teacher I know kids and I have nephews and nieces and I know people it's not like I'm some sort of weird I fuck kids I hate kids no these are some horrible swans crossing drama levels of high
1: schoolers for one thing it's not a cohesive group of friends most of their conflicts are terrible like not not even interesting the ones that are interesting they unfortunately push the beats too many times the same way so you just kind of start to lose interest in them all together and again they're not connected to May she is never yearning to be with these people nobody's in on her situation this is just like this place where she's forced to be with these people that she doesn't really have this like yearning to connect with and that's when you see a superhero story the thing that you want out of the like the friends that they have and the connections that they make is like this being a superhero is making it difficult to connect with my friends but I love my friends so much I've got to figure out how to make this work with May it's like my friends are making it difficult for me to be a superhero can I get rid of them any faster but also I'm very horny so we got to figure that out too it.
0: And I'm here for a young woman's coming of age. I am here to encourage that sort of sexuality, that positive vibe that we would want her to have if she were Peter. Nobody ever said, I mean, you know, not on terms of a large scale cultural understanding, nobody ever said Peter's getting way too much hot ass. Someone stop it. So I want to see May get that same experience that a male hero has, because I don't want to see a female hero shortchange that experience. But I don't know that that experience is playing out properly here in a way that because of the differences that we associate with men and women and those character tropes, that isn't sort of feminizing in a misogynistic way what should be a very different thing under a male character oh I think absolutely she likes both Brad and JJ and
1: apparently JJ more but they're not really even dating like you know we haven't seen them kiss on panel they're not going out on dates really we're not seeing them have like good chemistry moments those are the things that like I don't mind if she's boy crazy if then there's a boy and she's like ah, I'm crazy for this dude I'm having so much fun shit I gotta go do a spider girl thing but I really want to keep hanging with him like that's a great story for me she deserves it we see it with male characters all the time she's just getting the same like I'm inconvenienced by the crush that I have on this guy and I don't really know what to do about it but now I got to go do a spider girl thing
0: and I like that they're letting her play through the classic role that every you know kind of like hero's journey shortcut narrative list needs to go through and here's where she loses her powers and here's where that so that we get that I lost my powers moment is Definitely one that not only did we need for her to reach so that as a character, we wouldn't have any stone unturned. That's something that is the hallmark of a, well, maybe it never got its chance. They're saying that we are not going to leave any story undone for Spider-Girl. And I mean, we have a lot of time. Reasonably speaking, there's 150 proper issues of Spider-Girl. There's 103 in Spider-Girl. That's 100 plus the zero, the annual, and the one half. There's 31 in Amazing Spider-Girl, 11 in Spectacular Spider-Girl, four in the follow-up Spectacular Spider-Girl miniseries, and one Spider-Girl The End, bringing her up to 150 issues even. We have just finished one-sixth. Now, we're way more than that through the MC2 universe, because we've already read an additional 40 of, like, the only other 70 issues that there are. So, reasonably speaking, we're like a third of the way. But for Spider-Girl's journey, we're pretty early on, and... Seeing her lose her powers in a fight to her most pathetic villain is kind of a bummer. But one thing that I really appreciated is instead of spending six issues slowly building to the point where she finally tells her parents and finally faces it and blah, 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 we just start in the fucking middle of it. And that saves me such a worry that they're going to waste my time with this.
1: Yeah. And I think this is a really good example of a story idea or a trope or something that we expect to see from a superhero where this is a totally fine one to leave exactly as is. How a character responds to this is going to really tell us something about her. It's going to make an interesting story. I think when you make a choice like, we're not going to let the reveal play out over, over a series of issues. We're just going to dive right in. It gives you a chance for an interesting way to play on the story. I'm contrasting that to something like the Savage Six where it re- that's where you should have done something different because yes, every superhero team has a rogues gallery, but we already know May's rogues gallery and they are a bit of a hokey bunch. There's times where it's good to use that to your advantage and have some fun and not try and treat everything like it needs to be hitting the same degrees of seriousness and the same beats of drama as Spider-Man might have hit in the same situation.
0: Instead of giving us always beat for beat Spider-Man's exact story, they're much more interested with upholding the vibe, which is why I think Spider-Girl 26 and 27 passages is an Endgame are by far the two-part best issues of the series so far. I am so pleased with where we're at. You know, she's powerless, but she's not weak. The complaint I maybe have is Normie is beyond unrecognizable in wanting help in being contrite. There's a little something confusing there, but I genuinely really liked this two-parter. I definitely liked where we picked
1: up in her losing her powers and going forward from there. The first part of 26 is a little bit rough for me.
0: Oh, the thing I refer to as an arc in seven pages. Right,
1: exactly. It's a solid story. Her losing her powers is, you know, something that I think we really do—we know we're going to see no matter what. So this is a good time to dive into it. The moments that I actually found myself, I was surprised, I really enjoyed were between
0: Peter and Mary Jane. Oh, for sure. Those were really excellent moments.
1: Yeah. For all that we've been harping on, especially Peter, you know, I do want to see him grow and change in this book. I do want to see what became of Peter Parker and how he is as a dad. That's part of the what if. That's part of the difference in the universe. I don't always want to see him being this angry, miserable,
0: bitter, sad sack. A thousand percent. And I think that might have been why when I saw the reference to Nelson and murdoch i got so excited because i was like oh okay if you're gonna keep giving me old canon give me something else for a minute because yeah at this point maybe peter isn't my favorite still we've kind of bounced back and forth but i think right now peter's a little bit on the kind of blah or side i still love those interactions but i'm not here for peter right now and if you're gonna keep giving me that classic stuff getting it with this new twist a riley works there okay well We are back into the endless albatross of the canon monster. But okay, I'm interested. I'm interested. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, we... I think for all that we refer
1: back to it and the, just the problem of them having said, like, it's not going to be like that. We've accepted at this point that it is. And when we find these moments, I I hold on to them. Like, I, I take notice and I'm curious how they're going to play out for Spider-Girl. My hope is always that it's not going to become this, like, huge enmeshing in a continuity that is only partially relevant to her specifically and is more, like, broadly relevant to the idea of, you know, her family. But a little, like, a Riley reference, that's the type of thing that you kind of want to see where it goes and hope that it's just like a fun little nod. In this case, it winds up being a very interesting, uh, relatively expansive nod.
0: It winds up being its own exiles team. It's the most absurd amount of things in one small space. And speaking of the most absurd things in one small space, I know that I've read this issue like a bunch of times, but I'm still not sure when Normie gets his hands on May. It's fine. I don't really need to understand exactly, but it definitely just sort of feels like, oh, Normie's got her, no big deal. And I'm like, oh, okay. And one of the things that makes this issue so incredible wasn't even just the weird parallel of Pete, Mayday, and Jimmy trying to convince Phil, Normie, and Moose not to commit acts of violence. But I really loved that everything Mayday did, she did without powers tied up. She literally proved herself like a Marvel-level caliber hero. And that is such a hard thing to do. It really takes someone who's written a million Marvel Universe stories to know that Hallmark beat and he nailed it. This really was for me understanding that she overcame the Goblin-Spider War with the strength of conviction that she wants to do better by the next generation. Oh my God, make this woman president. I agree.
1: Another totally like viable option for a story like this, one that you see in something like Buffy is like action and ingenuity rather than strength is the thing that allows her to win And so like she doesn't always need the strength. She's got a lot of smarts too, but you always need the action. And I kind of thought that might be where we would end up going with this. And the fact that it really is just these two people having you know, a discussion, a a mediation of sorts, a coming to terms about not repeating the sins of their parents is, I was, you know, when it ended, I was shocked that that's where we ended up in this. I kept expecting it to take the hard left into like her breaking her hands out and, you know, for them to start fighting. And instead it really is just this conversation Conversation that I think one of the points of Normie is that he's always just needed somebody to have
0: with him. And I think the Two sides of this war just always needed to have with one another. Something that like punches me in the gut is Normie immediately falls to the ground in like a childlike pose. He is immediately the weaker, the submissive of the two. And he says that he doesn't know if he has what it takes to kill himself or to kill her. And May says that's good news. It means there's hope. And she says, we're going to get you help and you're going to build yourself a real life. And he says, I don't know if I can do that. And she says, have a little faith in yourself, Mr. You just ended a war, didn't you? And that's like the most, she gives him the credit. Like Mayday Parker is my kind of hero. And it's just such a testament to the thing that was created with Peter Parker that many varied iterations of that same idea of with great power comes great responsibility. And it's not the spider bite that made him powerful. That level of depth to the central core of the character is why I'm here, is why I'm going to keep reading, and is why I think this has held in my heart for so long. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean,
1: obviously I didn't have the same connection to it growing up, but seeing it now, these are the moments that like when we are really hard on previous issues and sometimes the characterization of May isn't quite right, you stay for these moments because as they build the character up, the moments that are misses start to matter a little bit less or, you know, you can sort of see the May that is really intense ended playing out in places where she's maybe not perfectly described in that way. As far as the JJ and Moose drama goes, it's packed in here. I guess the idea that JJ has an interest in Courtney that is platonic and he just like likes her as a person is a really important thing to have said. And Moose misunderstanding—that's like an interesting, you know, teen beat. You gotta remind kids that like every time a guy likes a girl, it doesn't mean that he like likes her or whatever. Again, the problem is May is in a room somewhere tied up with her play cousin, where they're trying to stop the Goblin Spider War, and this. Just doesn't feel relevant to her life. I could get into it as a story. I just need to find some way that it's important for May.
0: My notes say Does no one realize May is missing? <laughs> Maybe our little feud about Courtney isn't important and we
1: should go find our friend who nobody's seen in days. Maybe the one who always goes missing is Spider Girl. Maybe. (laughs) She has bandages all the time, black eyes. Yeah, it just, the high school isn't connected to May enough. I really, that's something I'm really hoping we'll see in the future volumes is just a reason why we should care about the fact that she's in high school.
0: And speaking of things going on in this high school, Spider-Girl Presents The Buzz is easily the most throwbacky, cute, self-aware, playful, I just don't know what it's doing in this universe. Because it's not even the same The Buzz. I mean, I know it is. And I know it's the same JJ. And it's the same JJJ. And it's the same Spider-Girl. But everything about this is from a totally different perspective. In fact, Spider-Girl seems so put together, it reads to me like The Buzz thinks she's got it going on.
1: Tom DeFalco has described multiple books in this primarily J2 and Wild Thing as being kids books. And they clearly are but not in a way that saying that is saying anything nice to kids. This is a really great kids book. This is an all ages book that you can see has a little bit of appeal where if you were like a 10 year old, you would think the buzz was so cool. And this is what high school is like. And it's fun. Everybody's got like a good sense of humor and there's solid action to it. But it never does any of those really awkward, very immature,
0: just completely like, teens are cool beats that we kept getting in J2. In fact, it elevates teens. Something that I notice about a lot of the MC2 line is everyone's got to do it themselves. Everyone's got to go it alone. And everybody is fighting this uphill battle. Not here. People team up here. And they work together here. And it's kind of interesting that the buzz is the first time I'm like, Why did we only get three issues? Whereas, like, Fantastic Five, I'm like, five too many. With J2, I'm like, mm, half of this, half of every issue can be thrown away, literally. With this, I'm like, This was three issues that maybe should have been six because, let me tell you, we've made a lot of comments about dudes gay and other dudes gay. And we've made a lot of comments about unlikely age disparity situations. But Buzz Bannon is really lucky he died when he did or he was going to be accused of grooming JJ.
1: Yeah, it is exceedingly homoerotic what's going on between these
0: And not even like from a gay perspective, like they literally just show them giggling together and laughing and like they weight train together. So I am so fucking amazed at the way this creative team invented an entirely different visual style for this book. This book looks like only this book. And it's the same fucking names. It is the same goddamn names as on every other one of these books, with the exception of Neil Yomitov on coloring. And the colors are a huge deal here. The colors are a huge deal. Mike Martz edited it. And, you know, the editing is a huge deal. But, you know, other than the fact that the first half is just kind of like. A fun casual time setting everything up. And then the second half is just bang, 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 bang action. I think the buzz is probably the best number one of any MC2 book. It absolutely is. I think J.J. benefits from having been previously
1: in the Spider Girl books and I say Truth. that almost surprisingly because he's not a great character there but he's recognizable enough that there's a bunch of situating that we don't have to do. We can just slot right into his life as it is. We don't have to explain, you know, who the old guy is. It's his grandfather. It's J. Jonah Jameson. You know, we're pretty, we're pretty hit the ground running. But the The choices that they make from there, you know. This is a a series of books that makes a lot of choices and I do not always agree with them and I do not always think they pan out well. And even something as silly as giving him a pseudo father, older brother slash older male lover type character to guide him to his superhero destiny is a really weird choice and it works so well here that it pulls the whole issue together and is such a solid like driving force. As much as we're laughing about it and it is silly and it is kind of fun but like narratively it's completely consistent and works for the entire issue and gets you exactly where you need to go.
0: Yeah and it fits into those sorts of old timey adventure man and his sidekick kind of vibes. You could have thought they were going to be Batman and Robin and you know one of the things that I love about the whole thing is that it's programmed to the user and only the user but then he can use it and like that's kind of cute. I like that for JJ and he's got these Big wide eyes. So there is something kind of innocent and childlike and also frightening and fucking looming about this costume. But the one thing that maybe doesn't work for me is that Dr. Jade is evil, and the only reason that doesn't work for me is she's the only woman in the story. So I'm not crazy about her being a bad guy. You really need to go out of your way to remember that there are women reading these books. And I'm going to, you know, just go out and say that the buzz isn't the most masculine looking hero. So maybe consider who might be drawn to this character and be interested in identifying with them. I also thought it was a little bit lame that
1: she shows her true colors as being evil by putting on a really slutty outfit outfit smoking a cigarette and forcing a kiss on to buzz
0: yeah that's pretty uh pretty rapey and male isn't it so i guess there were no women in this issue so
1: oh hold on you had j jonah jameson scientist who does not feel like J.J.'s biological grandmother. This feels like a second or third wife situation. I just had to put that out there. I'm,
0: I'm going to have to heart agree. I'm going to have to heart agree. And it's one of the reasons that I think that these books could have used a little bit more assistance from like regular Ohatmu's, official handbook of the Marvel Universe because I am at the point where everyone is vaguely related to everybody in an overwhelming way. Like Normie is sort of theoretically, you know, spider cousin But, you know, the Osbournes are related to people and, you know, the Uriks are related to people and the Parkers are all interrelated. And we're about, you know, to find out more about Kane and Riley's and all of that stuff gets so complicated so quickly. I'm really excited about Richie Robertson. I love him and I love that he's the man in the van for the buzz and we get a lot more of him in Kill Switch than we got of him in Come as a Hero. That first issue was a little thin on Richie's personality, but that second issue where he saves the day, and or it's revealed that he saved the day in the first issue, really makes me like his involvement more. And I love the idea of having a superhero Hero in mc2 that has a
1: guy in the chair a man in the van it can't be done just showing up and saving the day that having an operator and somebody to help you out is important for some people is again it's a superhero trope it's a really solid one it's something we haven't really seen in the mc2 yet and so it works perfectly for this book
0: And another thing that worked really, really well for this book was the clever usage of Spider-Girl as an actually, like, existent hero. This isn't, we see Spider-Girl from Spider-Girl's perspective, because, you know, she didn't show up in the other titles. They showed up in hers. So this is really our first time seeing another hero be like, oh, Dip, it's Spider-Girl! And... He is kind of odd dip at Spider-Girl about it. And I'll be honest, this JJ is not the JJ from Spider-Girl. I don't recognize this character. I kind of don't even recognize the buzz. And it took me so long to realize that when they say that the buzz is wanted for murder, they're in Dark Devil's line of dialogue back in like... Spider-Girl 26, they're probably referring to Buzz Bannon being found dead and that it was pinned on the Buzz. And it's just not clear that this is that the Buzz, like it's so disconnected, even though it's obviously the same book.
1: Yeah, that is the one unfortunate part, because again, it adds a dimension to the high school life, the romance between JJ and May, which we're being told in Spider-Girl over and over again is important, but we're not being shown in ways that are really Compelling. JJ and spider girl is not the best character at all the buzz has had a couple good appearances but isn't you know a wildly important team up character in the way that like even comparatively Lady Hawk would be seen as yeah so this book makes all of those things really plausible and could have been a really good jumping off point for a next phase in the relationship between the two of them for adding in another hero that could have kind of gone the distance and had a really neat connection to the other big anchor point of this universe it they don't match the the depictions in Spider-Girl and the buzz but it's unfortunate they they didn't start kind of picking up on the buzz's depiction a little more and going in that direction.
0: I also need to just chime in that I can not for the life of me figure out why they refer to this as a kill switch like um i don't think it's a kill switch i think it's a manual override is it that manual override isn't as catchy a title
1: yes that is 100 percent the point
0: okay because it's not a kill switch it is in
1: no way a kill switch it, it's just the most like
0: extreme comic book sounding words yeah Yeah, and this story had some stuff that I thought really set it apart. I loved that J.J. was like, please don't let him hurt my grandpa, you know, and Richie in his panic knows what it's like to lose someone like that because of his grandfather. So there's so much to it that I thought really elevated the characters. That's something I'm looking for from these stories. That's something that we talk about in these books. We need the characters elevated. We need to see them brought to the the next logical level and sometimes it can go one of two ways and i was really 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 nervous because i didn't remember how this one ended when i reread it at first i was like please for anything don't let it be that buzz bannon was a bad guy and was secretly you know gonna hurt jj and don't let it be that and then i get to the cover of the third issue And it says the buzz and then there's Spider-Girl next to the buzz. And I just kind of wish it also said and Spider-Girl, but that's fine against the foe you never expected. And I'm like, well, then it can't be Doc Ock because I see all of the Waldos right there on the cover. So there's no way that it's Doc Ock because I expect him now. And then I turn the page. And I'm reading and man, I love that fucking the buzz looming over Richie image and I'm reading it and everything's fine. It's a great story. I love the whole the ship can fly itself. Who needs a pilot? And then, yeah, Jade in the worst costume ever looking like some sort of acrobatic boa constrictor reveals that Doc Ock in a breathing mask and Xavier's wheelchair is the bad guy. Honestly, I can't even be mad at it. It is so sad silly it's such a
1: Saturday morning cartoon thing he looks ridiculous but it's just funny and fun
0: also sometimes Richie looks like a 47 year old pirate with an eye patch yes and I have a hard time taking his age seriously But all in all, this story is probably better suited to either an annual or a five-issue mini, but three issues really felt like I didn't have time to get into it. I had enough time to get a sense of things, but for as much as I'd invested reading three issues, I would have invested five, knowing what five-issue miniseries I just read. I also could have just invested an annual. No matter what, though, the buzz is three issues I place way above Fantastic Five. I placed it above probably any three issues of A Next. It's definitively better than J2 as a title, but lacks the same heart at times. I probably put it only second to wild thing in terms of spinoffs. Yep,
1: I feel the same way. I really enjoyed it. I wish there could have been more. And now really what I'll be looking for in upcoming issues of Spider-Girl is, does this characterization carry over? And can we kind of take something away from the work that was done here?
0: Because I... I feel like Spider-Girl volumes four and five really, for me, get like a B plus Even when they didn't work, on the whole, that is a title where I would not wait for the trade to be discounted. I would not wait for like a two for three kind of deal. I would absolutely make sure I was picking up that book when the trade came out. Even if it was just my fun time book, I definitely give those two volumes of Spider-Girl a B+. I think we're on the same page about that, Yeah. As far as the buzz goes, I'm going to give it a B plus two. I'd love it if I could give it an A minus, but I don't think I can. The failure of the Bechdel test consistently is frustrating. The inconsistency with the book it's tied to, frustrating. But what it represented was a lot of fun and I can't believe it. I don't know what's wrong with me. How did this happen? But I totally ship them together from the last page. What the fuck happened?
1: Oh, I absolutely do. Because this is all the things that we've been wanting for them, you know, as a couple and to follow them. Them. the the idea that she has an interesting boyfriend who has similar qualities to her and similar interests that it finally gives them a sort of common chemistry that's been completely missing from Spider-Girl. So yeah, I completely ship them too, and I'm really hoping that we're going to see it play out in fun ways in the next volume of Spider-Girl. Because
0: one of the things that made that such a good ending was that they refused to kill Otto, they refused to kill Jade. If she's going to be with somebody, I don't need her to be with a bad boy. Right. She can be with an annoying, overprivileged guy, I guess, as long as he going to always put his privilege second to saving the day which is clearly what we see here but man i i found myself enamored of what the buzz came to represent by the end of the buzz
1: yeah and what it could mean for mayday going forward just to have somebody to be able to connect with in both parts of her life
0: You know what book I didn't walk away from saying I feel like all of my time was really well-respected and this is an exciting title.
1: You might be talking about Dark Devil.
0: I think I am definitely talking about Dark Devil because Dark Devil, and I even remember as a kid thinking Dark Devil was the greatest thing that had ever happened, like specifically the book, like the reveal, I as a kid thought this reveal was so cool but as an adult i think what i recognize this reveal being is kind of like i have this batarang and it has lasso of troop rope tying a piece of kryptonite that functions as a green lantern power ring to it that's my weapon that's my power my name is justice league man Yep, that is Dark Devil. That is Dark Devil. This is the most absurd. And again, I think the book is fucking gorgeous. This is another one where, where has this art been the whole time?
1: And... The two great things that the Dark Devil book and The Buzz did was give a really distinct style to a story that it matched in a way that made every issue. I mean, like, you know, Wild Thing has a very distinct style, sure, but it's there are little finishing details and little slight stylistic changes that for these two books, the art really says something about the story that goes beyond just this is great art for a great story.
0: Because, yeah, you know what? Some of it's ugly. I'm going to be honest. Some of it is ugly in a way that I find compelling. Like, art can be ugly to make a point. Like, there is no way Kingpin can, like, I'm not being ridiculous, but like, no one who isn't a superpowered being would be able to bench 45s on an Olympic bar like that. So some of it is purposefully trying to make him look too big to be real. And then it's immediately contrasting him with an over muscle So the aggro crag of Cain, where he doesn't look at all human at all possible. Those are not the realistic features on a man that looks like Santa Claus with, you know, a perm. So this is a book where the art speaks volumes about what it's trying to say. I don't know how I feel about what looks like the hand in sunglasses opening the issue, but it's there.
1: Yeah, I got really excited seeing this because, you know, it, it does look like it's the hand and that's such an important thing for a Daredevil story. And then it just, as I looked at the details, which, yes, it really does look like the hand in sunglasses is the perfect description of what's happening here. And then it's just kind of a moment out of nowhere. It Again, it works for the idea of a stylistic impression for this book, but it was an interesting way to start things because it doesn't really have anything to do with the larger story and it doesn't really tell it.
0: No. No, it really, it's just so stylized. And if I said that there is a possibility that I wanted the miniseries for The Buzz to be longer, no chance for this. I just want this to be shorter. I just want this to be an annual. The side stories here really throw me off because they kind of don't match the art. And there's a whole lot of telling me stuff is a lie. Like that is a lot for me to process. I don't know for me. Reading Dark Devil was an exciting interaction with a canon that I did want to know more about, but the overall story here is just so bizarre. Dark Devil is a shape-shifting teleporting demon person who is really Riley Tyne, the son of Ben Riley, who when Kane was working as Fisk's assassin killed Daredevil, no thank you, and... So then they wind up with, uh, I don't even know how to put this, daredevils, ghost, and ghost rider get mixed into this kid and then Ghost Rider's demon host Zarathos is thrown out but he turns the kid into part demon and he winds up looking like a Nightcrawler Ogen fusion and they tell us half of what they've told us is a lie there just had to be a better way to do this
1: yeah I it's that listeners that really is basically exactly the description and it's kind of told to you like that where it's just like text bubbles explaining these very convoluted things you know because we've seen So much from Spider Girl about like the clone saga, and we've had Kane in the mix before, and Dark Devil's been around a while. And if you know anything about Spider-Man, you likely know about Ben Riley. It all feels not I mean, implausible is the wrong word because it feels completely implausible. It feels like you can understand how they got to all of it, but not why with all of those details they decided they should go into this
0: one person. Because I don't know what it's supposed to tell me about any of these characters. So like I think One of the problems is they're trying to handle too many stories that are perhaps bogging down Spider-Girl at this point. The Dark Devil stuff and the Kane stuff and the Kingpin stuff and the what happened to Daredevil stuff. It's all getting to be too much to fit into such a short amount of time every month. So moving a lot of it out into Dark Devil is a great way to sort of diffuse the situation and by creating a book where the texture is such a visual element of the character's visages, like, you know, page 13 of that first issue, Kane's face is just truly disgusting. Like, it is absolutely horrifying to look at. He has cracks running through his face but when you contrast it with the way his hair is created to look like this all consuming identity, there's something that really works for it. The same way that the absurd Quathak splash on page 17 where dark devil manages to kick the scryer in the peck above his own head in a way that can only be described as borderlining auto fellatio vigilantism uh
1: yep that is exact i was gonna say he's really like throwing it back almost multi-dimensionally
0: yes yeah, he is like trying to back it up on you through space and time.
1: You're you're right about the fact that like it, shifting some of these ideas away from Spider-Girl was really important. They picked a lot of ideas for a three issue story and then they compressed them very tightly into one single person in a way that just boggles the mind that you could even sit down with your creative team and
0: explain this. Because that's what's tricky because then I try to remember to splice in that he has a regeneration tube that he sleeps in because he does and that there is another scryer because this is the secret cult of the scryers who are assassins that have been involved with kane and we're dealing with like the head scryer and then it turns out the other head scryer who can transform to look like any of the scryers is secretly zarathos And he wants revenge after he was cast. So, okay, I need a minute here. Something that I definitely like that comes up a lot in the discussion of Daredevil is that Daredevil is like a fucking nearly mystical character. When the purple man uses his purple whammy on people, Daredevil defeats it by knowing himself that well. That's literally how Daredevil defeats the purple man. Just, you can't possibly fuck with Matt Murdock more than Matt Murdock fucks with Matt Murdock. Good luck. And His strength of self allows him to overcome it, and that's something that he knows through the hand training, and it's such an element of who he is that the spirit of Matt Murdock is indestructible. Like, truly, that's, like, his core character, and it's how he's able to purify spirits, and, like... I get it, but the idea that upon death, Daredevil could instantly become a Zarathos level judgment specter is, even for my Daredevil gay ass, way too far. And then, when you add to that, just like
1: some weird dimension of Ben Riley's son is in the mix. Like all of these ideas individually sound really kind of strange and like a little bit convoluted. But the fact that then somebody was like, but they're all actually related and here's how is where things really go
0: awry. And then they throw in that he got poisoned, and then it really wasn't a poison. It, but it was a poison. But it wasn't actually about poisoning him. It was about manipulating things here and there, and that's why he's really Zarathos in the other place. And like, it gets to be so many layers that I don't know that this really could support its own weight. Ultimately, that it winds up being he and Kane have a very, I'm going to say, obvious '90s style team up is sort of frustrating. And all of the political stuff going on in the background where everybody is named after a classic Daredevil creator, yeah. Roger McKenzie, Frank Miller, Glennis Ween, there's just non-stop references to amazing creators who spent time working on Daredevil, but this just isn't an issue. It's it's just not and it's not a it's not really a three parter either. It it could be an annual if you cut stuff that doesn't fit, or it could be a, a six issue mini if you flesh it out really hard, but there the whole thing ends with like him and Kane being exactly where they started, and us not knowing more about Kane. Sure, now we have Dark Devil's origin, but then wasn't there a better way to just give me that? Because Kingpin meant nothing. What was he doing here? Kingpin meant nothing. Yeah the idea idea of this as a
1: second generation of daredevil is kind of just the idea shot right from the get-go like this really doesn't have anything to do with daredevil this is another really huge tie-in to the importance of the clone saga that we just got through talking about for may but the idea that it should be significant to this corner of the mc2 universe doesn't i'm not i don't buy it i'm not there yet and setting all of that aside even with six issues it's still too convoluted an explanation to just let it ride like that like it's when you bring in Zarathos that things just go completely off the rails like the idea that like somehow a clone child of Ben Riley got the spirit of Matt Murdock that's, that's weird that's a bit much I don't super buy that but like okay I said that in a sentence it's fine when you add in a vengeance demon it's just it's too much explanation and even six issues wouldn't have let you flesh it out in a way where I'm like yeah I'm totally into
0: this idea it makes sense to me because you know what I'm sitting here and I'm like, like, well, maybe I'll just provide a counterpoint as I'm listening to you. And I'm like, no, he's right. Because I'm like, okay, if it's six issues, you give everybody their own issue. So there's like a Kingpin issue and a Kane issue and a Zarathos issue and a Daredevil issue. And I guess a Ben Riley issue. And then I guess a Riley Tyne issue. And then you probably want one to tie it like an Omega to tie it all together. Dark Devil Omega. Oh my God, I hate it already. And it is tough because I want to be like, yeah, he is the Guardian Devil. Fight that. And he is so religious fight it but it yeah i i'm that guy and i want to fight it i'm like this is a a little too much for me i don't know that he could just take on zarathos like that and this one's tough because like part of me wants to give it an a for really doing something unlike anything else yeah it does deserve the a for that particular effort and then part of me genuinely wants to give it like a d For an absolute lack of self-awareness in how much time you have, in what you're creating, in where you're going with this narrative. Like, part of it gets a D. Yep. How many elements can, like, combine to create a character background? And yet, I find myself giving it a B. Because there's sometimes you just have to look at something and go they fucking tried like i don't know what else to say there is because we've talked about this and we talked about how i've said that dark devil is considered like the secret gem of the mc2 universe and it is and part of what makes that so tricky for me is i don't think it's a great three issues but it's Three issues that definitely makes me think. The buzz is three issues that I really enjoyed. The buzz doesn't get me thinking. Yeah, I mean, I can buy that. And, you
1: know, as much as it doesn't work to put those many different character backgrounds into a single character and then, like, just explain it on page as though that's normal, I appreciate just the utter balls to reach that far and be like,
0: literally all these people had a plot orgy and this is the baby that came out. Because at the end of the day, nothing else in this universe is really taking chances like that. Everything else is a pretty literal interpretation of the text in a very note-for-note kind of way. They literally gave us a new colored goblin.
1: Yeah, and it's just like, you know, Spider-Girl's daughter, J. Jonah Jameson's grandson stole the suit. You're right about that. Like, nothing else has this absolute, even like all of the Avengers with all their different origins, they were all pretty like, that's just Agatha Harkness's granddaughter, or whatever. This is a really like bonkers. I mean, this is like
0: onslaught levels of convoluted. Truly. And I feel as though it, strangely enough, thinking about how Dark Devil and The Buzz were so much shorter, if this episode is better than the last episode, it's because Fantastic Five really brought me down and there was no clunker this episode. And the second episode, the clunker was unfortunately J2. And the first episode, the clunker was definitely a next. I don't think we had a clunker this episode. Yeah, no. I mean, I even
1: when a book is maybe not the best executed or doesn't have the best ideas if it's really fun and the out there-ness like gets you from issue to issue there is a lot of value in it and the buzz is just really fun all around nothing too complex but something really enjoyable Dark Devil is very complex it's really weird I'm still like every time I think about the, the idea to put these characters together it just boggles my mind but it was really fun and my jaw dropped as this explanation kept going because it was so out there and you know there's something to be said for that. It is absolutely fun. And there's, I will say this, there's no point at which it ever gets like really offensive, really misogynistic. It could have used more women, but at no point is it really problematic in any way other than just being convoluted.
0: I can go for absolutely all of that. And I'm really excited because we're about to enter a a pretty different age of Spider-Girl. We are only going to have Spider-Girl for several episodes in a row. Our next episode is going to see us discuss Spider-Girl Volumes 6 through which were released in Digest form in June and November of 2006 as well as April of 2007. And it sees us covering Spider-Girl 28 through 45 Four, which represents jesus january of 2001 through april of 2002 that's so much it's gonna be a beautiful year and a half well i can't wait to sink my spider teeth in as i said on another show recently shoot my spider seed uh, all over this material. And until then, TK, where can everybody find you online? You guys can
1: find me talking about comic books on X's for Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at
0: xnatexgrayx. You guys can find me over on nexus for podcast as well, as well as over on the Billy club, my show with Tori Sheehan, where the two of us take a look at daredevil starting in 1964 issue by issue, story by story. Don't forget to check me out over on Twitter and Instagram at Nico action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. And check out my story in the young men in love compilation coming out in June. And until then, everybody keep those universes MC two. bye.